0: How do you do? The box office pulp board feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast without just a word of friendly warning. We're about to unfold a cinematic commentary track, made by a group of men who sought to create a podcast after their own ravings, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with three great mysteries of the Internet. Analysis, observation, and deconstruction. I think it will thrill you. It may... Shock you. It might even horrify you. So, if any of you feel you'd not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to. Well, we've warned you. Now, to pause and refresh. For your convenience, we have an attractive refreshment stand in the lobby with buttered popcorn, golden good, and hot from the popper. Your favorite candies, wholesome and rich, plus delicious Dr. Pepper, so bright and bracing with a tang and tingle unmatched by any other beverage. Enjoy an ice cold Dr. Pepper at our beverage stand right now, and then return to fully appreciate this bop and a movie commentary track. Enjoy.
1: How dare you defy your masters!
2: Dobby has no master. Dobby is a free elf, and Dobby has come to save Harry Potter and his friends.
3: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, moxie, and tonight... Multi-part finales. I'm going to be really glad when we get to the end of this and I can stop putting M words at the end of that list. <laughs> Anyways, the Bop Harry Potter commentary series operates into year seven of the Potter Gangs' ex- escapades for this... I'm never writing escapades again either. That's a terrible <laughs> word to
1: say. <laughs> <laughs> escapades. Know
4: your limits, Cody. Know es, your uh, goddamn limits. By reach too no limits. far. Escapades. escapades. Escapades.
3: For this commentary track for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part one. I'm your host, Cody, and joining me to—well, look, okay, I'm going to have to make the most obvious joke in the world for the Deathly Hallows, but I, I'm never too high up for low-hanging fruit. So, three hosts, three Hallows, bing, bang, boom, I'm your host, the Corpse Stone. Joining me today, Jamie, do you want to be Invisible Blanky or Old Stick?
4: Uh, old Stick is tempting, but I, I'm going to go with Invisible Blanky. I like being have it. ignored. <laughs> so joining me
3: today, Invisible Blanky Jamie and Old Stick Mike.
1: Oh no, I'll be killed in my sleep. Well, I mean, that's how we all hope to go anyways. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I want to I want to go out like Darth Plagueis. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this got stupid quick.
3: Oh yeah. Uh, to pull us out of the mud here, though, I do have, and this might be a bop first, a retraction to make. What? Uh, That was my Tim the Toolman Taylor voice. I can't do it. I'm not Tim Allen. Anyways, uh, one of my friends was listening to our Order of the Phoenix episode, in which I repeatedly stated I couldn't make sense of the plot that that movie was happening. And my friend Alex Brandt was kind enough to explain to me that in the books, they make a much clearer thing of saying that Snape was spying on the prophecy got caught halfway through and didn't hear the second half of the prophecy, which is why they needed to find it at the end, because they oh, didn't know all the pieces. Uh, Voldemort wanted it. Snape was trying to get it.
1: Ah,
3: That's so, a very big thing that was not included in the movie for reasons. Yeah, so Snape, or, uh, Voldemort knew about the first half from the spying and wanted to get to the second half. So I, I guess mostly he was trying to figure out if it was like the Potters or the Longbottoms that was going to be the group that he had to worry about. So, really, I'm going to blame the book and not my own knowledge of the movie on that one, because I haven't read the books in a long time, and the movie should do a better job. I'm blameless,
1: always. We were mostly shitting on the movie, anyway. <laughs> that's true. That's very true.
3: Anyways, that's, that's my official apology. The books do a fine job explaining this. Uh, this has been promised to me by a, an adept book reader. I just watch movies, and I, I don't
4: process things. I like how your retraction was essentially just you saying, no, it was the movie that was wrong. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) My retraction is that this new information makes me even writer than I was before. Exactly. This is how retractions work. I always had it in me. (laughs) I believed in you, Cody.
3: But more important than that retraction and me not knowing my book material, uh, Alex also sent in a recipe for alcoholic butterbeer. And I've been resisting that because I've had some butterbeer recipes that have not been great in the past. But this one was so simple, I couldn't not try it. Plus, I mean,
0: I had another drink in line, but
3: I had to throw that out when someone sent me a recipe. Because how cool is that? Everyone at home, if you just want to send me liquor ideas, please do. (laughs) You this can send those battle. to Twitter at box office Pulp. Send me all your cocktail designs. Guys, Please don't guys someone them. sent
1: me this delightful cocktail book. It's called the
4: Anarchist Cocktail <laughs> Book. <laughs> I'm very excited to use it. I was going to say, this. you know this is how we get sent anthrax. <laughs> oh no, I've delicious, been burst to delicious, delicious, anthrax. Deadly mustard gas. <laughs> it
1: was weird they had me boiling gasoline, but hey, I'm looking for a good buzz.
3: Uh, along those notes, I am trying to make a cocktail right now that involves letting a bunch of smoked cheddar float in a jar of rum for like two days. So I'll try anything. <laughs> it's called fat washing. It's going to catch on. All the all the hip bartenders going to be doing it someday.
1: Get to your butter <laughs> beer, anyway, Cody.
3: <laughs> to the butter beer. So, one, I really like this because it only has two ingredients, which I can tie into the fact that this is a two-parter finale. Twos, numberology, woo! Uh, Also, a friend recommended it, which is really cool, because, I mean, we're ending Harry Potter. It makes sense. I go back to the beginning of Potter, the most famous drink, something that ties into that whole idea of unity, friendship, families being made by the bonds we choose rather than are forced upon. I'll take it. Sure. So, exactly. Give me me something. I just wanted some butterbeer. So, this one's a little different. Typically, the butterbeer recipes out there that I've seen recommend cold butterbeer, or you end up making your own syrup. This one, nothing to it. You get yourself uh, cream soda, any brand that you prefer. Uh, really, any of them will do. And then uh, some butterscotch snops. That's it. Uh, you want probably, I wasn't actually sent quantities of either of these. So, when I made it myself, I just took. One bottle of cream soda, dumped it into a saucepan. I took uh, 1.5 ounces of butterscotch schnapps, dumped that in, turned the heat up to medium on the saucepan, let it go for just a couple of minutes to warm the whole thing up, threw it in a mug, put a little bit of whipped cream on top, which is definitely not necessary and more of a mess than it's worth, and it's amazing. For a two-part recipe, this is the shit. Like it, it, I don't even like cream soda, and this is fantastic. So... I would highly recommend this to everyone, super easy to prepare, easiest thing in the world, doesn't even cost much to get butter, uh, butterscotch schnapps, it's like $8 at a liquor store. Uh, Brent also recommended that if it's the winter time, you can do it warm. If it's the summer time, uh, just get some ice cream, cream soda, the schnapps, put it all in a blender, and then top with whipped cream, so you kind of get a smoothie deal, which sounds delightful, but it's also snowing outside my apartment right now, so no bueno.
1: So when do we open an official box office pulp bar?
3: I have
4: all the liquors sitting on top of my fridge right now. It's getting overwhelming. I like to think that you never drink any of the drinks that you prepare for these podcasts. You just sit each of them on your mantle, and they're just filled with flies now. Guys, I'm running out of mugs. I need help. Anyways, folks, I'm going to give you a second here to go
3: make some alcoholic butterbeer. You might take a minute because you got to go buy soda. Whatever. You know, you do you. It's going to be worth it. Get that. Heat it up. Don't heat it up too hot or you'll scald yourself. Common rookie mistake. Lord knows I've done it a thousand times making this kind of stuff. Alright, are you back? Got your drink? You scalded yourself, didn't you? You burned your tongue. Ah, I warned you. Anyways, put the drink down for a minute, let it cool off, and we're going to start up our commentary series, so you're going to be stuck here with two hours, 26 minutes-ish of talk over the movie while your drink cools down. It's perfect. So, Mike, you got us all queued up?
1: I, I, I just... I love your your little banter with the audience who isn't here <laughs> they know what i'm saying they're on my side they know and i remember <laughs> they are not so i refuse to believe that or i'll have to <laughs> abandon this fucking show um remember folks as always like we say every time we um every time we lay one of these drinks on you gulp it down get in your car
4: <laughs> oh god and make sure the police who find your body know you died listening to box office pulp. You can't take me down.
0: I'm a Harry Potter. I'm flying.
1: Right <laughs> as five stars on iTunes. Please, anyway, God. Uh, I'm going to count to three. After I say three, we are going to press play. Are we ready? Aye, aye, Captain. Face Madness. Oh, who lives
3: in a cupboard under his... I don't have any more to
1: that song, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. One, two, three. I like how excited we are for
3: for Potter. Uh, it's the, no, I'm just excited because give me that fucked up WB logo. Yeah. Oh God, it's making noise now. It's terrifying. It's loud and it's screechy. It's tearing itself apart.
1: Don't worry. Don't worry. At the um, at the end of Deadly Hollows Part Two, after they defeat Shao Kahn, it comes back together. <laughs>
3: That should be the after-credit scene for Harry Potter to Deathly Hallows Part 2. Like, the WB logo just looks like it's much better. It's got some gauze on its face.
4: I feel like if the series kept going another three movies, the logo would have just screamed at the audience. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
3: Speaking of terrifying things, here's a very close-up shot of Bill Nye screaming at us. Oh, it's his lion's mane of hair. He's supposed to be on our side, and he's terrifying. This is interesting, because the last few movies have really done pretty much horror movie openings. And this one, while unsettling—God, I don't like this man staring at uh, me—is more unsettling than it is an outright spooky, scary story. We get the bummer set up here. You know, there's all this stuff going on. We cut to the newspaper showing us that things are shitty everywhere. We kind of have a bummer montage just going through of all these people having or planning to leave their lives behind. Hermione's going to remove herself from her parents' memories, which, god damn, is that dark. Uh, also, book lovers, was it ever explained if this was a permanent spell? Or just this one of those things that she got to walk back later? I'm not uh, familiar with the canon outside of
4: the movie. They did move to Australia. Ah, they probably got killed by spiders
1: immediately. Yeah, most likely. Yeah.
3: If I remember right, there was even a scene here where, like, the Dursleys had a small moment. I think Dudley went back and, like,
1: yeah, I don't the know,
3: book. didn't beat Harry Potter to death or something, so it was going <laughs> to be touching.
4: I love I mean, how they filmed that and gave that actor a full prosthesis so he would still look fat. And in the finished movie, you just see him from behind.
3: A lot of wasted fat suits in these movies. <laughs>
4: I am amazed at how effective this scene is without us ever having met Hermione's parents.
1: Yeah. So, God, that actress just has the worst things happen behind her.
4: Consistently. (laughs) (laughs) That's a weird thing to be typecast for. Okay, I have a theory. Her removing herself from those photos caused them to revert back to their default the stock photos of spoons you get whenever you buy frames. <laughs> because of having their memories erased, that meant that Tommy and Lisa Granger became brain damaged and strange and filled the sudden hole in their lives with the drama. This is how we got the room, guys.
5: No!
3: Also, really, was it necessary to remove yourself from the photos? I feel like you could have just taken those with you. Because Now they have like a picture of an empty bed. They're going to look at that someday and be like, that was a weird thing to leave out. Did we have a child who died? Why did we just take pictures of empty furniture? This one is just like a crib. That's spooky. Janet, why did we do this? Why do we have this birth certificate with nothing on it? (laughs) It leaves a lot of questions for Hermione's parents. I don't know if she thought this one all the way through.
0: She wanted to punish
3: them for being muggles. That'll do it. Another thing I want to point out here, though, uh, the score duties have switched hands. Uh, this time, Alexander Desplat is uh, – do you pronounce the on you know that? Desplat? Desplat? I think it's Desplat. Desplat,
1: Desplat? actually.
3: He's won many Oscars. I should know it by now. He's done a lot of wonderful compo- composition work. Now, uh, we don't know what
1: we're talking about, though, so that's okay.
3: Yeah, that's fine. Uh his score for this really fascinates me because I think it's a great score, but it doesn't strike me as the most Harry Potter score. Most of the other scores have kind of been in a mode where they're trying to imitate to a certain degree what John Williams was doing in the first three movies. And this one feels like it's more interested in being its own score that occasionally yeah. has some sort of kind of whimsical, flirt, magical flourishes to it. I don't think that is a bad thing. It's just a curious change for these last two movies to kind of stand on their own uh, from a score uh, point of view.
1: Yeah, I like the score uh, of these last two pictures, actually, but they're so diametrically different than anything that came before. And it's especially weird when you consider Williams wanted to come back for this. Oh, really? I'd never heard that one. That'd been yeah, interesting. He, he, he couldn't just because of um, prior commitments and whatnot, but he really uh, wanted to. So we could have gotten a return of Williams, giving us a classic Potter score. Instead, we end up getting this, which I actually think fits the story pretty well. It maybe doesn't stand out as much as the previous scores, but it has a, a flavor to it I like.
4: I like how it's by far the least whimsical of any of the scores, which I think very much fits the tone, yeah. And I think it's a very—this sounds negative. I never
3: mean it negatively when I say something is functional. I think that's actually high praise. In terms of this, it's a very functional score that gets the emotional beats pretty effortlessly. It doesn't feel like it's straining, but you get the emotion that they're going for. And most scores never really hit that, so I, I consider that a high compliment, even if it sounds a little backhanded.
4: I kind not of say, I love Mob Boss Voldemort. <laughs> he's being noseless. Also, I know we missed it, but can we just reflect on them for a second on the fact that Alan Rickman flew at the beginning of this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I really
3: enjoy Fine's performance here. I mean, we get the calm, collected Voldemort, and when he kind of goes off the handle, it's not like he's totally unhinged. He's just mad at the help which is this very snobby, elitist kind of asshole villain
5: yeah. that
3: makes him feel a little bit unique, but still unpredictable, cagey. I like it. It it's, it gives a lot of character in a small amount of time because we haven't seen Voldemort all that much throughout the series. We, we get little snippets of him, mostly at the end of the films when he's enacting his evil plot. This is one of the few times where he gets like a dialogue scene all for himself at the start of the movie. Plus, everyone else at this table does a wonderful job of selling how they react and think of Voldemort. No one really wants to look him in the eyes. They laugh at his jokes, but they they kind of seem nervous when he gets by them. No one wants to be like the guy who jumps up and interacts with them. There's that fear, but reverence as well. It's sold wonderfully from these guys who really have almost no other role in the movie. They're just here to look scared for like this scene.
4: Yeah, definitely something that pays off uh, in part two. Like You really get the sense that everyone really wanted Voldemort to come back until Voldemort came back. <laughs> oh, geez. Maybe this wasn't a good plan.
1: It's a better idea to them than actually in practice once, you know, wizard Satan actually shows up. Voldemort came back and Lucius
4: lost his comb. Things went downhill. Oh,
5: man.
4: <laughs> I do like... I, this is as bedraggled as you can possibly make Jason Isaacs. <laughs> <laughs>
5: this
4: is Jason Isaacs if he hasn't sh- shaved or showered for six months.
1: <laughs> Voldemort's dickitude here.
0: My wand broke the handle. Important. I have a good stick.
4: Meanwhile, uh... Rickman has never looked more suave. It's impressive, too. He's doing all of his acting by not reacting.
3: Like, there's nothing going on in his face for these. It's very well controlled, which makes sense considering, you know, he's a double agent.
4: Okay, this is uh, kind of a problem I've had with uh, both the book and the movie. I will always think it is such a missed opportunity for this to not be Professor Trelawney. As opposed to just a character we've never seen before.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I've always thought the same thing.
4: Because Trelawney doesn't do anything in the end, so it's not like that. It would it would really affect things that much, and that would be such a gut punch for the opening of this story, especially uh, with they Snape there doing nothing.
1: And they we bring in get the, the original. This point, so.
4: Yeah, they bring in the original design of Flitwick
3: and then kill that.
5: <laughs>
1: Good.
3: No. so then we can still have the redesign in the movie and people will be like that was just a different character right i will say i love the creepy little touch of there just being a floating tortured body in the background of this whole scene oh yeah it's really <laughs> like scary. that just insidious touch that if you look in the background you can see a woman who's paralyzed floating in the air with this terrified expression on her face
1: movie's so extreme out of the gate
0: Oh yeah, they don't waste a lot of
3: time killing folks off. We have this death, uh, then we have the seven potters chase where we lose a couple of other folks and people get injured. They want you to know right away in, in, in part one that things are going to get dark. Speaking of. <laughs>
5: Dumble death.
1: <laughs> Harry, you weren't masturbating of that, were you? <laughs> Look at this glass. That's now
3: important. (laughs) Somehow, even though this is a two-part movie, they still have to rush through a lot of things that I wish they had taken a little more time to expand on. Uh, Coming up in a second here, when everyone jumps into the house... And people are like, hello, you haven't met me before. Hello, what about me? Hey, we're pregnant now. And they have to do all this in like 30 seconds. And it almost feels like a joke because I have to run through so much so fast and never touch on it again. Oh,
4: Harry must be so overwhelmed in that moment. Hi, I'm Mundungus. You've never met me. Hi, I'm Bill Weasley. You've never met me, but I'm fucking the French girl from three movies ago. And also (laughs) I got attacked by a werewolf named Grainback. You've never met before. Now I'm a werewolf too. Also, Lupin and Tonks are fucking...
1: Now let's all become you and run. Ah! (laughs) Uh, uh,
3: I would like to spend a little bit of time talking about this. I think this is a key moment in the Deathly Hallows part one and two. Just Harry underneath the cupboard with his old toy. It's a, it's a slow, nice poignant moment. And considering this is the beginning of the end, it's part one of two of the end of Harry Potter If you think about it, these series have spent almost an entire decade building up these characters so they can deliver on their potential. And these are the moves that are going to show if they're up to the task. And to go back and show where he came from and where he is now, I mean, that's emotional to me. I got to watch this kid literally grow up with me as I grew up.
4: And I love how we go directly from the cover cover to one more instance of wizards ambushing Harry at the Dursleys with their delightfulness. (laughs)
5: <laughs> well yeah
3: it's,
0: it's the Potter.
4: family
3: it's the family thing all over again he was alone in the cupboard like just like at the start and now he's surrounded by magic and his magic family it's a compression of the essential arc of Harry Potter
1: so going back to the cupboard thing uh, I, I'm a little bit in that, that I really like um, and I really liked it the first time I watched this is just the reflection of irony on Harry's face a bit and playing with this symbology of Uh, The toy soldier kind of looks like it's holding a wand and Harry's realization that he is technically now a soldier and used to play with that kind of thing is pretend and now he's been forced into this actual situation. (laughs) Okay.
3: Side comment here. That is the same flask, I believe, that they were using when it was Barty Crouch Jr. impersonating Mad-Eye. Did did, did he just steal Mad-Eye's flask? Yes. Or did Mad-Eye just go, that was a good idea to pop Polyjuice Potion in there. That's all I'll ever use it for. Oh, I think Mad-Eye just stole it. (laughs) Alternative idea. My dad once got uh, a camel pack and filled it up with whiskey so he could walk around drinking all day. But he said he could never get the taste of Jack Daniels out of the camel pack. I wonder if you put Polyjuice Potion in like a ceramic container flask like that. Maybe you can just never get the taste out. So it's only good for Polyjuice
4: afterwards. Ah, it still tastes like you, Harry. Ugh.
1: I would like to take a moment, by the way, to to say, Oh, hey, Mad-Eye, it's nice to finally meet you.
3: (laughs) I hope you don't explode soon. No, we see him for, like, two seconds in
1: order. Also, look at these two fucking adults here. (laughs) (laughs) freaks me the fuck out. With
4: their ties.
3: All right, I love this effect. All they're doing is crouching. Like, the CGI, obviously, over their faces, but all these guys are just dropping slightly down lower in frame to match Dan's height.
4: <laughs> oh, God, George, you look terrifying. So, look at David Thewlis just being tired. <laughs> oh. Ron, we no! Fucking. Oh, Hermione,
3: what have they done to
0: you?
5: I would
3: like to say this is one of my favorite set pieces uh, conceptually in the series. The the creativity here of let's just make multiple clones of one character and then put them all in broomsticks and send them flying around London to avoid uh, a series of flying evil wizard lasers. God, that's a fun concept, and it's such a great way to use the concept of magic in an exciting set piece kind of way.
1: Also, it gives us levity, but without
4: breaking story or tone, technically. Yeah, yeah. that's what I really appreciate about Deathly Hallows, is despite this being the darkest entry in the series, it also brings back the fun of the original movies in a big way, which had been missing uh, since Goblet. A fun acting bit here, too. You have to appreciate the fact this is Dan
3: Radcliffe playing seven people impersonating him. So the, the acting challenge that must present, like, do seven different versions of yourself, essentially. But each one has to have a personality that's trying to not quite be you, but looks like you.
4: Didn't they have to do, like, 80 different takes to get that to work? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't be surprised. So, yeah! So glad we got to see Hagrid and his Hills Angels motorcycle one last time. <laughs>
3: I don't want to nitpick too much on the logic here, but I almost feel like they should have been totally identical. Like, dress them all exactly the same, give them the same rides. Maybe not make him Dan Radcliffe. <laughs> Dude, that is an odd maybe, decision. Maybe make him, like, all George goodbye, Clooney Matt and I. put him in limos and just drive him. Yeah, goodbye, or maybe Matt not I.
1: have actual Harry driven by Hagrid.
3: Yeah, there, there's some weird choices here, but it is what it is. It's kind of obvious. Oh, well, not really. Apparently it's just Hedwig that gave him away. So before I said this is my favorite set piece conceptually in Harry Potter, execution wise, uh, I'm not as huge of a fan of it. I get a little bit yeah. of mixed signals here because so we have a lot of close insert shots. It's supposed to be kind of making it frenetic. And then these longer shots, I don't know if I buy, maybe the CGI just isn't perfect on the road here to to sell it like it should be sold. There, there's parts I don't appreciate, but then in a second here, when it gets to Voldemort attacking Harry, and Harry's wand fighting for him, that little bit really works for me. I love that action clip. Oh, yeah. So, it's, it's there are some shots that seem like they're trying too hard to convey action, and other bits where it really feels like it's got its own identity.
1: Yates went a little bit too hard, <clears throat> I think, on the um, chaotic aspect. I think that after that initial come through the clouds, that probably should have been dropped for the rest of the sequence. Not to play too, like, um, you know, backseat quarterback here, but the fact it kind of kept going, so you still just are having a bit of a hard time with geography and whatnot. Mm -hmm.
3: And Just the weird thing when other cars driving around the city have no reaction to two wizards flying around. Yeah. Like, this seems like it should be a showstopper. Also, hey, goodbye Hedwig.
5: Yeah, that just sort of happened.
3: God, that was that was such a, a bummer to read in the books. And Hedwig, obviously in the movies, they can never spend like twenty minutes talking about like owls. So Hedwig felt like such a minor aspect to the movies. It's, the whole thing's kind of a bummer. It just feels like a wasted opportunity to get you to really care about Hedwig since they move past it so fast. All right, that's what actor. I was talking about before. Yeah, they totally glance past that. This little wizard battle, I love. The the way they have the close shot of the wand slowly moving to turn against Voldemort. The follow-up through the energy blast into the cracking wand and Voldemort's widening eyes. That sells everything. You understand where you are for all of it. It's composed in a unique way. This is really over-the-top and hammy, though. So it goes from being very cool to, oh, come on. Do we need this?
1: <laughs>
4: I kind of Voldemort like how over-the-top
3: that is. destroying the power in the whole countryside.
4: Next time, Harry Potter. Next time,
0: <laughs> try enjoying your life without Wi-Fi.
3: I know these were set in the nineties. <laughs> Don't yell at me.
1: So, maybe set in the nineties. This is the only one where it becomes questionable.
5: Uh,
3: in the book series, isn't the first one like in nineteen ninety, and the last oh. one's ninety-seven?
1: No, all, it's supposed to be in the nineties. But there's someone's totally fucking rocking an MP3 player in this movie.
4: Oh, uh, I guess you're saying
1: okay. Yeah, <laughs> there's like we're modern colors and something. shit. It becomes way more questionable in this one. Well,
4: yeah, Rowling yeah. didn't say the '90s thing until like after these movies are made, weren't they? Like, that was like a Pottermore thing, wasn't it? I'm not sure. I mean, it never really played into the movies anyway, since they're
3: primarily set in the Wizarding world.
1: No, I think it was established in the books, just based on birth dates that were mentioned in passing or some such shit. Yeah. Who so, are yeah. you? <laughs> I, I just thought when I you were watching, um, it's, I mean, I had this thought during a, a scene that happens later, but just my own thought made me laugh, which is, is the chick playing Ginny playing Ginny as a sociopath? Because <laughs> then it suddenly makes sense. And then it's like, oh, Harry has some kind of weird type. <laughs> also, Lupin just fucking going crazy here amuses the shit out of me.
5: It's how
3: did of,
4: you put your name in that goblet?
1: Yeah, this this really works for
3: me, because normally we're
1: used to this kind of laid-back,
3: bedraggled dude, and in this case, like, he's oh, just love went to this. shit. He's, yeah, he's covered it's in blood. Perfect and... character sense. He's not sleepy. <laughs> it's it's very arresting, because he's acting totally the, the opposite from how we've ever met him, but it makes sense for the character in this moment for the situation.
1: Phil so Lewis is such a great actor, and I don't think he gets enough credit. Oh, never. This fucking standoff, though.
4: I love any time Kingsley Shacklebolt does anything. There's <laughs> his spinoff?
3: Hello, I'm also in these movies.
1: I, I feel like they should have a little conversation with each other about you ever notice that Dumbledore talked about this young boy a lot? Does that <laughs> ever make you uncomfortable? too much. The Majesty. <laughs>
0: And goodbye. I'm done in
1: this film now. I don't know why I'm amused I'm aware that it. they uh, teamed up Ron and Tonks. <laughs> yeah, and we just saw was... an apparently amazing Ron action scene that happened off-screen. Right,
3: <laughs>
4: Ron Weasley shows his stuff, but no one sees. Well, we're never allowed to spend any amount of time with Tonks. That's the rule. <laughs> <laughs> That that would be one thing I have in favor of the idea of someday
3: rebooting the Harry Potter franchise as like an HBO Game of Thrones type series, where yeah. each season is is one book. I mean, that might be a hell of a thing to do for the first couple of books while they're still building out. But I love the idea of really being able to dive into this world and explore all these side characters instead of being forced onto our main trio in a oh, movie. Nice. You just you just don't have time. You know, this is already two and a half hours long. They really can't afford to start talking about you
4: know, Tonks or any other side characters who really doesn't play into things as much. I think uh, what Netflix has done with a series of unfortunate events is a great example of how to do something like that, where you can just, just a little bit stretch the stuff from the later books into the earlier books to make it all a little more cohesive. Yeah, didn't they, I've never, I've only read like two unfortunate series of unfortunate event
3: books. Didn't they combine like the first three books into the first season or something along those lines?
4: Uh, every uh, yeah. It's like every, every two
1: episodes,
4: right? Yeah, every two
1: episodes uh, is a single book, essentially. Gotcha.
4: And they took some characters and, like, all the conspiracy stuff from the later books and just stretched it into the entire series. Ah, yeah, which okay. works
1: out really well. Like, it kind of makes a perfect
4: ultimate adaption of it. Cannot tell so, high, more actually... highly enough of it. Oh, yeah, fucking watch that if you haven't so far. Oh, it's oh, incredible. yeah. I've really... I mean, like
3: the thing says, it's a very depressing series, but I've been having a good time with it other than feeling sad.
4: It's very sad. (laughs) That's the highest compliment you can give. (laughs) But I think you could very much do that with Harry Potter, like just have the Order of the Phoenix around uh, from the beginning, and not interacting with the main cast, but just being something that's there. Because we know from the later books, there's a lot of shit going on behind the scenes that Harry doesn't find out about until much later. Yeah, you can give
3: them B-plots in the show, often their own thing, and you just know they're going to wind up with everyone else later on. And it would be exciting for people who already know the Harry Potter franchise because it's something new. But not in a way like The Hobbit, where they just decide, what if we spent 20 minutes going after the Necromancer and nobody cared?
1: I should see so much of Harry's wand.
3: (laughs) God damn it, Harry. You just spent like six years learning the importance of sticking by your friends. You're a fool,
0: Mr. Potter.
3: You'll lose everything.
1: The Weasleys no, couldn't no have rebuilt a nicer
3: house. With
4: magic, no less. Like, they think have they magic. Could've.
1: They could have just rebuilt their entire house. Instead of they just built kind of, like,
4: a vague shack. Why don't I feel, they just live inside of that tent from Goblet of Fire? It's right? nicer than the house.
3: Uh, probably terrible in winter, though. I feel like they should have an underground bunker this time so it can't get blown up by evil <laughs> wizards flying by.
4: Oh, it's just 10 Cloverfield Lane, but with the Weasleys. <laughs>
0: Don't let him in, he's a Death Eater.
4: I like the idea of John Goodman as a wizard a lot. Where's him as the fucking Minister of Magic and Fantastic Beasts?
3: Would it have been wrong if they made John Goodman uh, fudge? I feel like he would have been insulted just by the name.
4: God, imagine fucking full Cohen brothers screaming John Goodman, <laughs> <laughs> saying, Oh God,
3: now I'm just re- imagining a really overweight Voldemort. <laughs> just imagine him as a Death Eater running through the Weasley houses as burning, and he's just charging through with a gigantic shotgun wand.
4: I'll show you the magic of the mind!
3: Great now I have to go watch Barton think.
4: <laughs> You're welcome. Also the heroism.
1: <laughs> it's Velts Rupert Grant always freaks me out. Why'd you get vaguely built?
3: They all had to. It's in their contract. He's trying to I'm make him.
4: He's trying to make himself look older. Like it's weird when you see Grant now. He just looks like a giant boy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He's a, he's just, he's the best diner you've ever been to. Subtleness <laughs> of that joke. Now, this might sound
3: callous, but I'm very glad George has his ear blown off because it's so much easier to tell these guys apart now.
1: Dude, really uh,
5: uh, Thank
3: God. Hey, oh, that one's either, Fred. Her? That one's George. Yeah, another thing that would be nice to to spend a little more time on, the movies (laughs) brush (laughs) past it. What's he doing with that boy Mm, No one sees. Uh, No, but the movies have to brush past this idea of Dumbledore maybe not doing the right thing with the way he treated Harry. They they get into it a little bit, and they kind of hem and haw about it, but I don't feel like they really grab onto it as much as they could have. In part two, they make it much more explicit, I feel like, but... There's this whole idea that Dumbledore might have done the right things. I mean, he got the right results, but the way he did them might have been incorrect. I mean, he basically lied or misled Harry about a ton of stuff to get him to this point so he could be the hero that they need. Think about the the stuff he did to Harry as a child. Like, he he left him with an abusive family just so he would grow up the right way.
0: Like, that's a lot of foresight
3: on Dumbledore's part. He's lucky he was right. Because that's that's a pretty shitty way to treat another
4: human being, just to make sure they're the fabled destined one that grows up with a pure heart. It'd be hilarious if it turned out Harry wasn't the last Horcrux. Dumbledore <laughs> watching from hell, like, oh, oh, oh no. Oh, I uh, goofed. Also, uh, you don't know this uh, just from watching the movie, but uh, George has mastered the art of invisibility. <laughs> I'm very glad they kept
3: the toothbrush gag in, though. That was a wonderful little piece of character. The the evil. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Dumbledore, weird, weird plan to just be like, hey, I'm going to give you kids some magic items and not explain them, and you'll figure them out, hopefully, at the appropriate time. I I feel like Dumbledore is using that time turner to maybe cheat things a little. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Dumbledore is just not good at what he does. I'm glad he's dead. I
3: mean,
4: everything works out in the end, but boy, goddamn, that's some real luck he's got going for him. God, can that be headcanon now? Dumbledore before his death, turn the time turner forward, and <laughs> just, uh, just off camera at all times. He's sneaking around, making sure things go off of the edge. Uh
3: you guys have seen the fan theory that and this is my favorite stupid Harry Potter fan theory: that Ron Weasley is secretly Dumbledore. Oh yeah, <laughs> I haven't heard that. you haven't. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna look this one up. I have to read it to you because it's, it's bananas, and
4: I want to get the details right. I totally thought you were just gonna go with the Dumbledore is the Angel of Death thing, <laughs> which also makes sense. Yeah, that one makes a certain amount of sense.
1: Oh, hey, that's fun.
3: Uh, fun fact: if you go to the internet and type in "Ron Weasley is." Uh, you get the results. Ron Weasley is the best. Ron Weasley is most afraid of these. Ron Weasley is our king. Ron Weasley is Dumbledore. Ron Weasley is a Death Eater.
4: <laughs> Finally, the truth king can be Theor. revealed. <laughs> I would like to see the Death Eater theory. I'm what a useless secret on. Death Eater that would be. Right? At well, the end of the movie, he just shoots Harry in the fucking head. Hail Hydra!
1: Ron, I have a very. very important task. Do nothing. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) Want me to report to you? No. Nothing. Do nothing.
4: Just get in Harry's way. (laughs) 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 Amiginium!
3: Towel and aisle two. I like the idea
1: that he just ejaculates while saying the giddy at the end of every statement. <laughs> okay. I'm put
4: that off, bro.
3: I really tail wipe me. The first <laughs> part of the theory that Dumbledore and Ron are the same person; their physical character- characteristics are somewhat similar. <laughs> No, they're, no not, they're not. Rowling describes both Ron and Dumbledore as possessing long, thin noses, although Dumbledore's has been broken several times, as well as tall and thin. Uh, older memories of Dumbledore also describe him as having red hair. As unobservant as Harry can be, he does make a point of repeating these characteristics as the book goes on. Again, coincidence? Likely. <laughs>
4: I'm sorry, guy, but some people are just shaped certain ways. No, no, I'm still going. I'm still, uh, this is from
3: bustle.com, so I'm not totally stealing really? like this. Yes. Uh, there is also the matter of a scar on Dumbledore's left leg that may or may not coincide with one that Ron sustained toward the end of the third book. Rowling never mentions the leg like, he breaks. Uh, even, even the bustle article, like, yeah, that's all stretch. <laughs> But we're getting to the good stuff here. The recurring theme of socks. <laughs> Harry mentions in the seventh book that there was only one incident he ever thought that Dumbledore lied to him. And that was when he described his vision in the Mirror of Horizon. I see myself holding a pair of thick woolen socks. Harry stared. One can never have enough socks, said Dumbledore. Another Christmas has come and gone. I didn't get a pair. People will insist on giving me Books. Rowling indeed confirmed in the 2007 web chat that Dumbledore lied about the socks. He saw his family alive, whole and happy. So That's just in the books. That doesn't even really need yeah. to be confirmed. The fact isn't so much that Dumbledore lied, but what he lied about. We the, <laughs> the recurring theme of socks throughout. Dumbledore's desire for them, Molly's fondness of knitting and fretting over them, Dobby's freedom granted by them, Hermione's determination to knit them, as a teenager, Ron is dismissive of Hermione's attempts to free elves through Spew and cast the socks his own mother knits him aside. It would be feasible, then, that a much older Ron, <laughs> who no longer has the two women he loves most in his life, would be hung up on something, something as simple as a pair of socks. They realize Dumbledore's gay, right? <laughs> <laughs> Their are reoccurring theme of sweets and a Bertie Botts' Easter egg. Uh when they're in the train, Ron gets Dumbledore. Oh, I've got loads of those, doesn't give a shit about the Dumbledore card is the brief version of
4: this. Also I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just have to say Mike Dad is a sexy guy. <laughs> oh oh guys are hey, continuity shit here. <laughs>
3: Dumbledore tells Harry that he lost his taste for Bertie Botts' Every Flavor Beans after eating a vomit-flavored bean in his youth. There is one problem with this. Bertie Bot was born in 1935. What? He is over 150 years old, and for him, youth is a relative term. He could not have possibly eaten a Bertie Bot Every Flavor Bean until the 1950s, most likely even later, making him well over 100 years old. Even in Dumbledore terms, this is hardly his youth.
4: See, I'd argue the opposite. Anything below 150 is youth. Dumbledore Girl. died at 115 years old. Uh, but what?
3: Oh, the next one is just called Dumbledore Freaking Knows Everything. Which we just got into. Dumbledore does know everything. What well, if like, Ron knew all that then went to the
1: past? Going back to Luna's dad for a minute, that entire character was ruined for me
4: after watching Mandy. Uh... <laughs> I thought the same fucking thing. It's just, oh, he's going to disrobe, isn't he? Uh. <laughs> Even without that, it's like, Luna's dad's a creepy fucking character, just in that shack with his daughter. Because it's and race of his, Everything of he
1: does is fucking creepy as shit. Yes. Why, How do you
3: tell... Uh, here in the background, when the glasses fill themselves up magically, they use essentially the same effect in the Fantastic Beast movies, which makes sense, David Yates and David Yates, but I just like that little bit of continuity. That's cool. Uh, okay, back to my conspiracy theory. Dumbledore and Ron's contact is virtually non-existent throughout the series.
1: Hmm? By oh, that same token, Vernon and Ron, Ron are the same person. <laughs> Would you say you were close to Dumbledore, Ronald? asked Grimgor,
3: ignoring Hermione. Ron looked startled. Me? Not not really. It was always Harry who... Ron looked around at Harry and Hermione to see Hermione giving him a stop-talking-now sort of look, but the damage was done. So yeah, I mean, that's true. It, like, Dumbledore always comes down to basically talk to Harry. He doesn't give a shit about Ron. It could cause a paradox. Also, reading this in the books, I had a much more frantic alarm in my mind, so I was very confused in the movie when it's a gentle "Hey guys, you're gonna die, please leave."
1: Don't I like how Don't... unsettling this is though the just the drone it's very unexpected in comparison and to everything every, in like uh, comparison to every other magical message we've seen received, yeah uh
3: also. Hermione got the time-turner from Dumbledore, so she's even had more contact with Dumbledore than Ron has. Because he couldn't give the time-turner to
0: Ron personally.
3: Also, you apparition in these movies still is terrible. has terrifying. no idea that time travel exists. Yes, I don't think anyone explained to him. No. <laughs> <laughs> also, how to disprove uh, Rombledor in ten seconds or less. One, Dumbledore is gay and Ron is not. Two, uh, a tweet from J.K. Rowling saying this is a false theory Stop there That's it, those are the only facts they have against it
1: Also, uh, not to freak anybody out here, but I just realized that Hermione is the lady in the red dress from the Matrix and all this is fake
3: (sighs) (laughs) That's the fan theory we should have been watching Hashtag it's all connected I don't know why the idea of a Mary Poppins Bag is always amusing to me But it doesn't matter, it's always funny It's always entertaining It could be the TARDIS, it could be that bag It could be Mary Poppins doing the same joke Always hilarious This is the lady that's an anachronism
4: (laughs) She's the time traveler, she's got that Turner (laughs) I love how uh, Hermione is just Ford Prefect In this movie, like, it's okay I brought a towel (laughs)
3: <laughs> so one thing i'm torn on about this film is the, the color grading for it once again it, it's very bleak and washed out which makes perfect sense for the tone they're going for you know it's not a happy go lucky whimsical film like the others but it's just very weird to me to look at ron and his hair is just kind of so washed out if he didn't know better he might not know he's ginger
4: I, I like the color grading a lot more in this than in Half Blood Prince. It is still bleak and washed out, but it's not that weird, uh, unnaturally earthy tone that Half Blood Prince had. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I, I it like still the color allows grade. for a lot of color. Yeah.
1: I like the color grading because there's still um, a lot of color in it. And there's something about the. The drabness in this versus uh, the drabness Yates went for previously that has a more fantasy tinge to it, where it's not just colorless for the sake of being drab, but it just has – the color grading has a tone to it that I like Mm -hmm. in this versus Yates' other films. Yeah.
3: And as long as we're talking about the coloring, we should mention that, uh, like Composer, we actually have a new director of photography this time, Eduardo Serra. So they they switched that out for the last two as well. Kind of a weird choice to change so much up at the end.
1: I believe the cinematographer didn't want to come back um, just being afraid of um, repeating himself or just not being able to do something different enough. Hmm.
3: Total change of subject here. I love this little bit where they have to basically convince Ron to not murder a dude. <laughs> Ron like, is
4: Dirty Harry in this movie. Gigantic well, no, I mean, clip. like I
3: said before, this was, this was the culmination of the characters' arcs. They've, they've spent six years growing up before our eyes, six book years growing up before our eyes. And now we have to see if they can deliver on the promises made in the first one where there's going to be a Dark Lord that comes back. Can they stop him? And it seems like a major test for Ron. Is he going to kind of fall into darker ways to get the ends met? Or is he going to maybe release a little bit? Is he going to be merciful? So it's, it's a big test for Ron. And this whole film is a giant test for Ron, yeah. oddly enough. Like, Hermione doesn't get tested in the same ways. They're always about Harry. He's he's the main antagonist. But his his trials are different. The Rons are very big in his face. They feel like they should almost be A-plot.
1: Ron is very tired of being a bystander in this. Also, uh, before we continue on Ron, the Ron conversation, there's something about this exchange I love that I feel like is almost meta. About we got you a cake. This is the thing we're gonna focus on. And Harry going, no, no, that's th- that that's something the other movies would have done. We would have just broken <laughs> tone for like twenty minutes and like we had a, would have a birthday party for no reason. But, but <laughs> we're not actually gonna do that this time. Now we have to deal with house elves. We already had the wedding. We've done this enough.
0: Dumbledore, <laughs>
4: that's terrifying. I, I, I do fucking love them returning to uh, to Grimald Place, and it just being creepy because the Order of the Phoenix is gone.
1: Yeah,
4: they're just kids alone in their parents' house. that may or may not be booby-trapped.
3: There's a Lego set, not an official one, but one that just came out, someone made of this, that actually has the two halves of the building separating and then another Lego block coming from behind to form Pet Place. It's the coolest shit. I wish Lego would make it for real. I'm so tempted to just start buying Lego shit and making my own version. (laughs)
4: That's
3: an impressive thing to pull
0: off. The things people do with bricks?
1: (laughs) Just fuck already, Uh, Jesus.
4: (laughs) I am very glad that, even though it doesn't have quite the same effect as it does in the books, that they still went with that detail. Because that is, like, my favorite bit of writing Rowling does in that entire series, where Harry wakes up and just sees their hands touching and thinks, man, I I wish I had somebody. (laughs) You know, besides Ginny. Dobby. (laughs) There's always Dobby, Master Potter. You want to see me stretch? You want to see my hidden hallway? Would you fuck
0: me? I'd fuck me, Mister Potter.
3: Goodbye, horses is playing in the background. Dobby's on the kitchen table.
0: <laughs> oh, I'd fuck Dobby hard.
1: Dobby is so smooth now and without detail.
3: The silence of the muggles.
1: Every book in the series is terrifying.
4: <laughs> well, they yeah, all, all of us. are weaponized. <laughs> Harry opens it up and he just gets sucked inside like it's Army of Darkness.
1: Use your magic to clean stuff. Yeah, for a second, it looked like they were just going to trap Hermione in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Find clues. Goodbye. She's trapped. Run.
3: So, Jamie, when you were reading the books as they came out, did you like uh, – were you trying to play
4: detective to figure out the REG thing before we got to this story? Oh, no. I didn't read the books as they came oh, out. I okay. read uh, I read Sorcerer's Stone when everybody else did, and then I read the entire series in one go uh, the summer before part two came out. Gotcha. Okay.
3: I remember like reading through the later books in a rush. one of those things where you go out and you buy them at midnight and then you just go home and read them for like six hours, (laughs) which parents can't really argue with. Like, oh, I'm going to go read a book for six hours. Most parents are normally pretty happy about that, even if it's kind of weird. But then like going back to hang out with friends and everyone like we finished the book. Have you finished it? Because we're going to spoil the whole thing. And you just having to like run out of the room screaming. So you didn't find out like little tidbits that you didn't catch fast enough. Because there's always one smart person in the group who would put together all the clues from later on way too early. Like they saw G, -G and they like instantly knew exactly who it was. Then you have to wait for the next book in the series.
4: I'll say nothing makes you feel like you have the power of God himself than reading all of the Harry Potter books in one go. (laughs) It's like, well, I am the master of time. (laughs) Those
3: books really flew by. I've never read so fast in my life and still retained the information. It was it was impressive. Also, it was wild times back when uh, the whole Snape kills Dumbledore thing hit the streets. <laughs> because the internet was still fairly, you know, people were using it, but not to the same level they're using it now. I just remember people making YTMND videos of the stuff like... Characters reading books that just have the words Snape kills Dumbledore pasted into them, and then the character, like, freaking out and screaming. Uh, someone spliced that together with the shot of Jack Black kicking a dog off a bridge in Anchorman. <laughs> just the, just so many people reacting, finding out and trolling other people as fast as they could. That was, like, half the thing. They wanted to read the book so they could ruin it with other people. It was the birth
4: of trolling in my mind. The, the best one of those was the one they made for Castaway. Just someone skywriting it with Tom Hanks (laughs) there with his only book. (laughs) Hey, Hogwarts Express. Hello, Christopher Lee.
1: (laughs) Fucking pulling a Magneto.
4: Uh,
3: A callback to my father will hear about this. There is some kind of clunky dialogue in this specific stretch. That one there, Neville jumping up, calling the Death Eaters losers. How did Neville not get
1: brutally murdered five seconds later for that? He
3: should have been shot on the spot. Uh, and then we have this little bit here where Umbridge gives her a little cruel laugh at the end of the nothing to fear speech. It's it's all, in my mind, very overbaked. And it's weird because the whole movie isn't like this. It's just this specific scene or a collection of little snippets.
1: Ugh. I have a problem, it, though, with this sequence, this scene right here. Not the scene itself, yeah. but it's structured stupidly. Because in the next <laughs> scene, you're supposed to be, like, dramatically revealed about Umbridge. But this scene happens directly before the dramatic s- scene of, of Umbridge revealing right. the newspaper. So it, it completely breaks it. This should happen afterwards. is that way you or meet just... all those characters so that way they're fresh in your mind when, when they take, take them over and it just doesn't make any fucking sense. It's just stupid.
3: Yeah. No, or just do that scene but don't have Umbridge standing in the background. Do that too. Like, there are ways to make this effective. I don't understand why they, they went the way they did. I don't know.
1: So, um... No, cave and da- run. Creature and Dobby are about to um, uh, show up, and I mm. think it. they're a good place to mention that ILM did not return to do the effects for this particular film. I think they had prior uh, work or something. They couldn't fit into their schedule. Mm. And, man, it's not that any of the effects in this film are bad in any way. They're all very good. But you can tell when ILM isn't isn't handling something they did previously. Because you look at a lot of the effects, but you look at specifically Dobby and Creature, who aren't rendered poorly. Like they look like they're there, but they have no
4: detail anymore. It's weird that Dobby looks better in chamber. Yeah. They're just I mean, so go
1: smooth.
4: Far. It's it's like they're not Dobby's been living a good life now that he's
3: not in, you know, slavery anymore. Takes three hundred years off an oak.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Semen this really takes care of the wrinkles. Where do you even get those fucking yeah. shoes? His lips are so supple. God, yeah, he just looks like a dude. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. On like
3: the other the hand, though, going. I really appreciate the personality they gave to the house elves. Oh, Creature yeah. and Dobby shoving and fighting each other as they go along this table. Creature going in the background to pull out like that screwdriver so he can stab <laughs> it, Mundungus. <laughs> they made them feel like actual creatures and not just like a CGI effect, even though the look isn't perfect.
1: Yeah, it's the little touches that make them much more real, but that's that's the lack of detail. Yeah. (laughs) The poking. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Ha ha! Practicing my stamina, Red. Ha
4: ha! I like to think that all of this is happening, but Harry still totally knows that Creature is the reason Sirius Black was killed.
5: True, yeah. Preacher he's
4: just a playing
3: spin-off. a long game. He, he's, he's giving this this stink guy in the background there.
1: Hey, what if he just did a spinoff of Creature hauling Dobby's uh, corpse around like uh, Professor Xavier in that one Claremont comic with Magneto's corpse?
3: <laughs> I was going to say a spinoff before this as an odd couple, and it's just two house elves living together and hating each other. Creature is trying to murder everyone. Dobby's just trying to set up a house party. <laughs> Oh, also, my God, not her. There she is again. So there's her reveal.
1: Yeah, it just makes no sense. It's the a reveal to really the characters, long.
3: not to the audience. So it is. it feels off. Yeah, It's, just, it's better if uh, we get the information at the same time as the characters in this sense. Because yeah. we could share their surprise.
4: So I, I have to say, uh, they fucking lucked out by uh, being able to work around the stuff in the amulet. Because that's where uh, cutting out half of Order of the Phoenix could have really bit them in the ass. Because <laughs> all that stuff is established in that book.
3: I mean, they were lucky enough to have J.K. helping out on most of this stuff, so they could ask her, if, hey, is this important? No? Oh, great, throw
1: it out. And this is the uh, film where she was actually a producer on, wasn't
4: it? Yeah, that's the first one.
1: Which is a weird <laughs> thought.
4: We're going to wait for the last one. Now you can be producer. Just rubbing your chin saying, I could write one of these. No, J.K. Rowling. But it was too late. I like his Ministry of Silly Walks there. (laughs) (laughs) He's not used to that body yet. He's got to test it out. Okay, I'm fascinated by the sequence because... I really like all the stuff at the ministry. I think it's kind of the highlight of the movie. I guess This is the most they go into high adventure, I and mean, it really feels like something uh, out of the old Harry Potter movies, like in a positive way. At the same time, you could cut all of this out and just probably just use that time to make a really long Deathly Hallows movie in one part. That's the, that's a, something that's kind of odd about part one whereas it does stand alone as its own movie but at the same time about half of the stuff that happens you could find probably find ways to work out
1: I don't think you could cut you, sh- you would cut this out I think you would just cut down the
3: woods yeah I remember when this came out or not when it came out when it was announced that they were splitting them into two parts Pretty much everyone's reaction was just kind of roll their eyes and say, oh, WB needs the money. This is just a cynical move to stretch the cash out. But after having watched both pieces, it doesn't feel that bad. I mean, they do a good job in my mind spreading apart the set pieces, keeping it fairly, fairly busy on both ends. It allows the Battle of Hogwarts to really breathe. You get a lot more time to kind of have some of the smaller character moments that otherwise would have been completely scrubbed. And I, I think that helps bolster all the emotion you get in the last part. I think it yeah. pays off in the end. I, I, I really think they actually made a smart choice by doing what they did, even though at the time I was totally just roll my eyes with everyone else.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you end up with, yeah, kind of a wacky part one in that uh, ar- arguably, I think it's, it's really not actually a super long movie. It's only wi- without credits. It's about 2.15, I think, which isn't too much over normal movie length really yeah but yeah maybe about five ten minutes over when it needs to be could have trimmed some a little bit of fat there from the from the middle portion but you need kind of an abrupt ending but then when you view part two it's worth it it's worth having a kind oh, of yeah. a wacky all set up part one because you would lose all of that
4: well, this is just funny. Give us like a four hour long Harry Potter. Yeah, wasn't the original cut before they split it like five and a half hours or something? Something like that, yeah. That's it. I found myself appreciating part one infinitely more re watching it for these commentaries than I did whenever it first came out. I think it plays significantly better. Uh, when you have all of the movies that you can watch in one go, and this isn't the only Harry Potter you're getting for a year after a previous movie that was also all set up. Right. Like I, In hindsight, I really like how you kind of have your cake and eat it too uh, with Deathly Hallows, where you have kind of a slow movie where you just spend time with these characters one last time and then you have the all-plot finale.
1: Yeah.
4: Yeah. It's also interesting in my mind, because as the series advanced,
3: the filmmakers became more and more comfortable taking liberties with the films. You know, the the first two movies are basically just the books. But I think by the time we get here, they're taking a lot from the books, but they are taking some other little moments to kind of expand on do their own thing, more so than maybe they have in the past. And it's interesting, they finally got comfortable with it on Parts 7 and 8 of the entire series. But having that kind of idea, too, I think allowed them the freedom to say, what if we just made this as two parts and gave everything more time?
1: Oh, David Hayman had to be um, convinced of it over a long period of time, didn't they? Like, I'm yeah, sure it, it was a decision down. they made
3: super fast. It's funny, the evolution on it too was at first when they, they very, very first started thinking of the series, they were talking about like, what if we did, you know, Harry Potter 1, 2 and 3 is one movie and they were trying to jam all of them together before they got to the scripting phase. They're trying to find ways to do this as like a trilogy. And it's funny, in the end we got it, nope, one book for each movie and the last one's too long. So
4: they kind of went the opposite direction, what a lot of directors first thought when they were coming into play. And you look at movies now, and studios are waiting for the opportunity to split things up into two movies. Oh yeah, it was look hilarious. At you when, Hunger Games. It was hilarious when that last Hunger Games movie came out, and even the people who liked them were like, "So why is this two movies?" Yeah, <laughs> I, I really do enjoy seeing
3: the uh, <laughs> Weasley prank. <laughs> magic be be kind of like the savior of the day <laughs> day is won through Tom Fuller. it's a neat wrinkle too that the way this is drawn up we essentially have an entire set piece done without our main trio <laughs> like they just have different actors who have to pretend to be our main people and we are just as invested because we're buying into the myth that when muggles attack what was that muggle holding was that a kitchen knife
1: I think so, yeah.
4: (laughs) It's one of the muggle sticks. (laughs) Uh, I I do think they get away with it because the actors they chose really (laughs) do embody Rowling, Radcliffe, Grint, and uh, Watson. Particularly the dude playing fake Ron. Oh, um, yeah.
1: (laughs) I think it's just Ron's future, honestly. <laughs> this slink-off of. always makes me laugh
4: Super British <laughs> run away <laughs> The fucking
1: RoboCop turn and walk off Amuses me <laughs>
4: I'm just amazed at. Did they find the most British tough guy actor they could possibly find? <laughs> it looks like fucking if uh, Ray Winstone fucked Vinnie Jones. Oh, he just looks oh, like God, he's. You imagine that baby. He looks like he's
1: going to beat up somebody in a fucking Guy Ritchie movie any second now. <laughs> he does.
4: And probably I have to get back to my appointment at the midnight meat train. <laughs> <laughs> and his
1: spine is an iron pole, apparently. <laughs> also, going back to, um, our kind of initial reactions to part one. It's funny, re watching this, I remember first time I, I liked the stuff in the in the wandering around the woods for six and a half hours, but thought, like, ah, oh, it goes on so long. It's really not that interesting. Whenever I re watch this, it's just my favorite part. Even Ron's Space Madness. <laughs> like, I just like are-
4: spending time with those characters for a while. It's interesting. It plays much better in hindsight. Also, they really don't spend anywhere near as much time in the woods as I remember. It's like 15 minutes. Yeah, it's not that long. We're not even in the
3: woods yet. Uh, Mike, as a time check, how far along are we in the movie? We are an hour. Yep. Yeah. So, honestly, they don't spend that much time in the woods, but that's what you remember of this movie until you pop it in and realize, like, oh, wait. There was like four giant set piece kind of things that happened before that.
1: Yeah, everyone's remembrance of this movie, everyone's reaction when it first came out was the fucking woods. It's all anybody could ever talk about. But really, it's, well, it probably
3: didn't help that the trailer was just, you know, them running through the woods. Yes. The poster was them running through the <laughs> woods. They really pushed the idea that these kids were in the woods.
4: And this was during the late 2000s where... Characters being in the woods was really—it well, was like a weird trope, I guess, because of the sci-fi, the sci-fi channel.
1: Now it's barely a quarter of the film. Say about a quarter.
4: So a, a horrifying glimpse into Radcliffe's future there. <laughs> the mentor's just hanging out. Pretty much. I love the amazing team-up of the Dementors in the creepy-ass Ministry of Magic (laughs) Hallways. Didn't occur to me before, but we've slowly been trekking through a lot of Potter's
3: history. I mean, we start with the the cupboard. Then we go up to Dobby. You know, that's our Part 2 reminder. There's our Part 3 reminder, because now we can see the uh, death, er, uh, Death Eaters. But I mean, we're we're basically working our way... Yeah, uh, we're basically working our way through the books and getting a lot of flashbacks to characters we haven't seen in a while or events we haven't gone through in a bit.
1: Uh, Umbridge and whatnot.
3: Yeah, Umbridge again. I mean, kind of breaks the theory of the pacing on that one because she's after Dementors, but whatever.
4: it, It very much feels like the last level of a video game where you're just taking a victory lap.
1: Yeah. Also, I think it's important to call out that... Remember the Order of the Phoenix movie never actually said Umbridge was a death eater.
4: <laughs> Going to roll over that mistake. Ron, you kissed a married woman, you're bad. Yeah, Ron destroyed that woman's marriage as women's love for teenage Rupert Grint as often as
1: Just wants to get into his goddamn ice cream truck. Also obsessed with this (laughs) dude's 80s bad guy performance.
3: Oh my god, he's British Terminator.
1: With his grumble. I just feel like he should be battling RoboCop or something. Or John McClane.
4: (laughs) The fucker's a diehard villain. A guy's being taken down by flyers like he's in Brazil.
1: Or would you be battling Schwarzenegger on Mars? Something like that. Just
4: anything like that. Uh, He's Anton Arcane.
1: Run, run, run! There is a lot of slow-mo operating in this film. God, and it's all terrifying. I would never want to travel this this. way if I was a wizard. These people have
3: to be, like, splicing with flies all the time. (laughs) <laughs> That's how we get dobbies. Amazing visualization, though, of that weird teleporting thing. Oh, yeah. I have to hand it to him. That was an, I never would have been creative enough to come up with something like that. Especially like the streaks of people becoming streaks of trees as you kind of refocus on the environment you're now in.
4: Yeah, it's like... It makes me sad that Yates... Like, like Mike, you've talked about this a couple of times throughout the commentaries. Like, it's so sad that Yates isn't recognized as a director-ass director, which he really is at this point in the series. These it's, are very well directed movies.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've I've said. Unfortunately, we watched Yates cut his teeth as a director. Really, cause he's only done TV stuff. We see him cut his teeth. Uh, and find kind of himself through the Harry Potter movies and it's kind of a shame because he had to shepherd them at, at the end. He had to take them on and at that point it had been established they all have to kind of look different. So you see him take on Order of the Phoenix which he, he hadn't quite figured it out yet and he's still kind of in TV mode so he's still playing to Harry Potter style which is why it it plays around with a couple unique things that he brought but... It was just him trying to make what he felt a Harry Potter movie looked like. Then you go into Half-Blood Prince, which we talked about how the style of that doesn't fit the tone, but it is a fucking incredibly directed film. It's beautiful. The cinematography is beautiful, just maybe doesn't fit the film. But it is great. And through that, you get to hear, which is goddamn well, fucking done, and one of the best directed films in the series. These last two, um, kind of combined, but especially if you look at this, the last one has a lot of plot stuff, it has a ton of action. It's not that it's easy to pull that stuff off, but it's hard to pull off creating something, um, visually interesting and exciting and a lot of energy to it when it is a lot of character stuff, like characters sitting at a table talking or doing stuff like this and I think you see Yates finally figure out what Yates brings to the table as a director and kind of double down on it with this film. And I feel like he's kind of wasted coming around on the Fantastic Beast movie where he tries to kind of do the Yates thing, which he perfected here, but try to do something completely different. I'm hoping with Grindelwald, uh, which is an out at the time of recording this, of course, uh, that looks visually more like the Yates film you'd expect from watching this. So I'm hoping it has more of that tone that he brings to it, because I don't think him trying to do more of a, like, whimsical, magical, um, almost not family movie thing, but when he works with the darker stuff but keeps it in the magical tone, he really excels. Whenever he's just in Fantastic Beasts and everything's bright and sunny and there's creatures running around and stuff, it it doesn't feel like Yates, but this stuff feels like Yates.
4: And God just Look at the uh that shot of Hermione from the previous sequence of her like in a business suit casting a spell with blood on her hands, with Harry and Ron in the background. Like that's like a comic book panel. Yeah. That's like a painting. That's iconic shit. We get some real blood in this movie too. We
3: get to see the missing ear, the, the gore there, we get to see you know the splinched damage on arm, uh, Ron's arm, That's probably more gore than we've actually seen in a Potter before. There's a little bit maybe in Goblet of Fire when they cut Harry's hand for the spell, but it's not as obvious as this.
1: Yeah, this is a very bloody film.
3: Well, for Potter. I guess thinking towards the end, too, we do get Hermione being carved up yeah. <laughs> to get a a slur tattoo. Look, it's Johnny Depp.
1: <laughs> but you do still get, you know, surreal these surreal flashes and stuff mixed within it. Oh, that,
3: sorry, that wasn't.
1: Uh, well, you did see you young strong, Johnny Depp I? briefly, there he is. There we go. Um, and I think that's uh, something. Yates definitely is. He's definitely talked about a lot because he did a lot of these. But as far as I think he's seen as too functional, and I think we we kind of talk shittily about him because of or the Order of the Phoenix and whatnot, but I think it's cool throughout the four films he does, you get to watch him grow, and I think a lot of directors who would come to this particular movie, part one and part two, would have tried to bring in the darker tones, but either... Pull back on things like violence or go too far and lose the Harry Potter of it all. The There's kind of a dance with part one and part two that is really spectacular. And even though I know Del Toro was interested in directing this film, which would have been fucking fascinating. <laughs> um, even though this is like the least American Del Toro um of this and I think he probably would have gone for more of that tone when this is really fits more of like european del Toro uh more so but uh Yates does something interesting with this film where it captures something that I think a lot of Potter films since like part 3 have been going for which is going more realistic and more mature but with but in keeping with the uh magical, uh mythological and most kid elements of it. And this is the only one I've seen that actually straddles a completely new invented tone.
4: Oh yeah. I, nothing quite feels like Deathly Hallows.
1: Yeah. Well,
3: I've mentioned there's a new composer, there's a new cinematographer, we don't go back to Hogwarts. There, there's so much in this film that's purposely set up to be different from everything else in the franchise that he was given a chance to really take these last two and make them into something totally separate from everything we've seen before.
1: I And, one of my and maybe that's decisions...
3: why they just brought in everyone else new from a creative standpoint.
1: Yeah. One of my favorite decisions that was made was all the location filming. We're so used to to sets. I mean, Karan um, did, you know, build a lot of sets on location mm-hmm. um, and, and then got, got a lot of stuff off of a stage. But here, you're in so many real places. It feels like the kids are out of their comfort zone in a way we haven't seen previously.
3: Mostly because they wouldn't let them into a hotel until they finished acting for the day.
0: <laughs> you live yes. outside now, Hermione. Oh, but my name isn't Hermione.
3: It is now until you finish acting.
0: <laughs>
1: Mudblood.
4: We'll stay in the trees. Yeah, I definitely have to say this is probably the most uh, tactile of the Harry Potter movies. This is the one. This is the one where the magic feels the most tangible which i really appreciate without feeling gritty yes it's it's very ironically very del toro in that way yeah
3: but it does uh, the camera shot we just saw it does seem like something you would almost see from guillermo navarro the guy who uh, you know worked with del toro on like the that... hellboy films and that kind of stuff that panning shot that goes around her money over the Snatcher, back around a couple of times to show you their opposing perspectives of each other behind the charm, which is a really, really great way to visualize that. It's just a shame that you can tell it was done with CGI. If this were something done in like the 70s, you know they'd have to do that by like having a character basically fall down on the ground out of frame and then stand up quickly, <laughs> <laughs> which for some reason I always buy into. I love those practical joke oh, shots yeah. in camera they just for whatever reason work so much better with that one you know there's that little bit of cgi blur as they're supposed to be moving through the portal that separates them and you know they just kind of wiped a person out with the cgi trick or composite everything later you know you're being tricked and it, it, i don't know it just doesn't work as well in my mind
1: also we've reached ron's space madness <laughs> <laughs> that's
4: a history eraser button <laughs> <laughs> Which
5: This, you, this goes you, back
3: to Rowling But it, I thought it was a brilliant idea That wearing these horcruxes Would essentially corrupt the soul The longer you had them on, the worse you would feel Mentally, physically And it, infects, it impacts different people differently I thought that was such a creative little twist On the story and adds more drama
5: But
1: so, the
3: fact I it mean, only that's, really that's all affects I just liked it.
1: Yeah, but the fact that it only Affects truth In you, really like it doesn't. You just don't start randomly acting crazy. It actually does play on real things you're feeling.
4: So God is uh, the cast of Harry Potter walking through an abandoned trailer park. The saddest thing in the world.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, it wasn't abandoned. They just killed all those people. <laughs> I do wish they would have been able to find time uh, for the Friends of Potter radio broadcast that transmits from Hogwarts, where they talk about Harry Potter like he's John Connor. Yeah, that
3: would have been neat. I mean, we get a little bit of the radio to hear about family members, and the the, the tension between Ron and Harry with the radio is, is touched upon lightly. One of the best things they do, though, is the horcrux sound that kind of kettle boiling screeching noise that they constantly are playing in the background in some of these shots gets under your nerves uh are under your skin and gets on your nerves yeah and i will never not laugh at that joke of harry thinking that Hermione just fucked up his hair
0: <laughs> <laughs> no i'll look stupid <laughs> well i wandered the woods alone for six months
3: I feel like there has to be a haircut spell, like Hair Reducto, and then you just have like a a mohawk.
1: It is ridiculous they have
3: to do that by hand. Right? Meanwhile, she ain't cutting runs. Nah. When we were in the ministry, though, we did see there was magic to pull all the flyers to a table, and then there was a wizard who was stuffing the flyers inside the newspapers by hand.
0: (laughs) So, who knows? Maybe wizard spells are like
3: they're tapped out on mana on a lot of things.
1: I think it's just how much busy work you personally want to do to kill time. Uh,
3: by wizard law, they had to do so many things manually just to make people work.
1: So, God, this tent looks Amish.
4: <laughs> so, I, I love uh, Hermione's Sherlock moment there. <laughs> you see, Harry, I'm actually a high-functioning sociopath.
3: Cue scary space madness Ron sucking the light
4: out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> And to you, Ron Weasley, I give you this dramatic instrument so that you may be frightening at all times. So you can always make
0: interesting introductions.
1: Mm. He looks like a sad clown.
3: Uh. (laughs) There was a great moment of sinking there where Ron said, I thought I did too, as soon as you finished saying that, Mike, it just... (laughs) (laughs) Chef kiss. Beautiful.
0: Other idea? uh, Instead of mana being in the Harry Potter world,
3: what if it's like D&D and they only have so many spell slots they can use per day without a (laughs) rest? Like, oh, I can't waste my spell slot on assembling these newspaper flyers. That'd be a waste.
1: Hold on, I have to sit here by this campfire for the next 15 hours.
4: (laughs) Alright, I'm ready to go. Magic missile. I have to say, I, I do really love... Uh, the plot point of Harry, of, of Ron and Hermione like at the very end of this series, just kind of looking at Harry and saying, I'm going to be honest, we kind of thought you were going to Harry Potter your way out of this a lot sooner. <laughs> Can you do something? Sorry, we kind of thought you would have become an action hero by now. Yeah, that's, that's Harry's big
3: challenge in this one. and Ron's, it's I guess dealing with his own internal conflicts of what he thinks Hermione thinks of him and, you know, his runner-up status to Harry. But for Harry, it's the fact that he was raised to be the Chosen One. And now that he's supposed to be doing his Chosen One stuff, he's kind of shitty at it. It's a weird experience for Harry because normally when he's given a chance to step up, he steps up and he makes a big splash. Think of the Dumbledore's Army scene a few films ago where he proved his worth as a leader there. In this case, he just doesn't quite have it. So it's it's a great trial for Harry to have to get through. Although I'm not really sure he gets through it. Like, he stands by and he lets Ron go,
4: and then when Ron comes back, he's kind of like,
3: Why'd you leave? God damn it, do stuff.
4: Well, I think what it ultimately amounts to, and this is kind of just what the entire series is about, is, yeah, Harry is the chosen one because Voldemort forced that upon him. hmm but it's really Harry and his friends who have to come through at the end. He can't do it alone. Yeah. For sure.
1: That's, yeah, that's part of Ron's thing, is recognizing, oh, I'm actually integral to this. I'm not actually off to the side as much as I and everyone else thinks I am. Please
0: love me.
4: Yeah, that's, that's what ultimately makes Harry special. It's not that he has magic powers or that he's exceptional at anything. It's that he's a good person who people love. Which, like, ties into, like, the very beginning of the series with Harry's mother protecting him with love.
1: He was a sad clown. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Toodles, no! He's getting fucked up at a bar right now. Still that fucking I still want to see a movie just about what Ron was doing for all this time.
4: Uh, he shacked up with Tonks for a while. That is totally canon. He shacked up with Tonks for a while. The beauty. <laughs> After they bonded during that chase.
3: And here you have your Ter- Terrence Malick section of the film.
1: <laughs> I like whenever there's locations in movies where you can just tell uh, the location scout got rock fucking hard, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> That guy didn't leave that spot.
3: He just sat there and he's like, no, this is mine. It's all mine. No one else can film here. This is mine. No
1: other movies can come here.
3: He was throwing the rocks at Ridley Scott. Like, get away.
0: You go to Iceland to film your movies.
4: (laughs) Hey, wait a second. This song wasn't around in 1997.
3: True. So this is... uh one of the most interesting in my mind parts of the entire Harry Potter film franchise because it's, it's its own separate thing. It's so far removed from everything else we've really seen in the books. It's such an intimate, great character beat. It has Nick cave for some reason. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure in the song, Oh children, he's singing about like gulags and he's like throwing world war two, Gestapo imagery and stuff in there when it's not the chorus. Like, it's it's such a weird out of left field thing. It's so alien to Harry Potter, and yet at the same time, it feels exactly like what Hitler, Harry Potter should be. It's a close scene between two friends, really showing the bond between them.
4: Yeah, this I think that this is the most beautiful thing in this entire series, and I will defend it until my dying day. I don't this think anyone's is against fucking beautiful.
3: it. Beautiful. I think in most people's minds, this is probably one of the standout Harry Potter scenes.
1: Oh, yeah. I think it says a lot about how ingrained into this world Clovis became over the course of writing all but one of the films. That this was his original idea, and it feels like it should have always been there.
4: Yeah. And what's so beautiful is when you watch it, you just kind of forget this is Ron and... Hermione. <laughs> and it's just Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson being friends who have worked together for a really long time since they were small children, just enjoying each other's company. Kiss. I feel like half the theater was doing that at the time. I, I really love the subtlety of that moment, though. There like, he's going for it. He's got the head, Bob. <laughs> you don't really, it's not really played as, oh, this is the culmination of, like, long-standing sexual tension, it's just, okay, nothing matters anymore, we are at our lowest point, we're both lonely as hell, do we want to do, no, nah, no, nah, we don't, that that wouldn't work, okay. If only we had a ginger between us. <laughs> <laughs> a ginger between us, the Emma Thompson story. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, i yeah. open at the
3: close Ooh, <laughs> baby uh but no going back to what i was talking about before about the way this movie kind of connects back to its roots while also pushing itself in a new direction i think that little phrase there i open at the close is the representation of what this these two parts are going for i mean uh obviously you can look at the closing maybe as a death which is how all this really started i mean Voldemort dying trying to kill a baby is what spawned the boy who lived legend which is now what he has to deal with again so these two are tied together from that start that they jumped into they forced that kind of tautology so you get that implication of a circle and I, I think you get that throughout this movie quite a bit and, and a little bit with the other just because it's an ending but we have all those flashbacks to the past we have you know those old characters we haven't seen since the early days Dobby later on we will get the goblins the sword of Godric Gryffindor, all that kind of stuff. Harry even goes back to his birthplace. It really is all back to where it started.
1: It's a real Harry, this is your life. Well, I
5: mean, this is supposed
3: to be the culmination. This is these characters turning into adults. So they have to say goodbye to their childhood. In in this case, they do it literally by going to Harry's birthplace. And they move on as adults. And in part two, they get to actually finish off everything that's been set up and promised to them. This is that final, last little bit of birth into adulthood. If I mean, on... They're totally off on their own now, too. I mean, this is the one where there's no supervisors or parent figures to guide over them in any way. They're really actually striking out on their own.
4: If only there was a scene where they had to get vital information from the mind of Gilderoy Lockhart. <laughs> and then it just becomes Men in Black 2 for a little while. <laughs> we have to find some way to de-obliviate.
3: All right, so I don't have anything important thematically to mention here, but just imagine if these scenes were just stretched out into a horror film. Like, just imagine a horror oh, film yeah. with a real budget that could go to a snowy, spooky, cozy, little old-school British town where there's an evil witch snake woman trying to eat people. Now, where's that Hammer movie?
5: God, oh,
3: I, I would throw money at the screen if this whole
4: look was a film.
1: It's a random grim fairy tale they found themselves on.
4: Yes. I fucking love how Yates goes into full horror movie mode from pretty much this point till the end of the movie. Yeah. So our, our transition of seasons is is way more
3: gradual here than it has been in previous potters. Typically, we get like a big scene transition that announces like, oh, hey, by the way, it is now spring or it is winter. Uh, you can tell because now there's a bunch of snow on the Whomping Willow. For this one, we had a long period where it was getting colder, you could tell from the way they dressed, from the way the environment was looking. You know, you knew fall was hitting them. Now suddenly we do have snow, but it doesn't feel like it just hit winter. It really does feel like we've slowly been sending these characters through the woods through time.
1: Uh, even during the last scene, before they came here, at the very tail end of the scene, that's when you just ver- see very subtle snowflakes start to fall around them. Yeah. More plot! My name is Ignatius.
3: <laughs> so, the other Potter films, too, all, all a lot of them, not all of them, have a big focus on their mysteries, but they aren't exactly mystery movies. There, there's typically a MacGuffin or a magic mystery that's introduced at the start, and they get clues throughout the film, and at the end, they get the big answer. In this one, I mean, it's called The Deathly Hollows. We get some subtle hints earlier on in in the film about them. But the mystery is itself kind of a red herring because they think the mystery is how do we collect these horcruxes? How do we destroy these horcruxes? And at the end, they find out, oh, it's this other thing we should have been looking into. That's what we really need to focus on for the moment. It's, It's a nice way to kind of subvert expectations without making it very obvious. That's what's going on in the structure of the story. Also, unlike fucking the Half-Blood Prince, we don't get it introduced, like, with one line at the very end of the
5: movie. <laughs> we do get
3: some time for the Deathly Hallows to register as being important to this whole deal.
4: You say, Harry, I was the Deathly Hallows all along. <laughs>
1: Old lady who turns into a snake? Let's not meet. <laughs> As she walks like she might be a snake, secretly. That's <laughs> all old people, though. We all know ladies are snakes now.
4: It's weird to think that old lady is a sexy Asian woman. Think that of all old ladies. Oh, so thank God they reshot the Potters' death. (laughs) (laughs) I I would have loved if they went back and used the fucking ABC movie of the week (laughs) shit from Sorcerer's Stone.
1: Oh, where the Potters just lived in what appeared to be, like, suburban Vermont.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And Voldemort was just a regular dude in a hood. It is like a fucking Renaissance Fair cosplay hood.
1: I love how apparently he blew the fucking house up on his way out. Boom. Boom!
4: Voldemort out!
0: Oh, my soul!
1: Nagini!
4: <laughs> oh.
5: Oh, one last Nagini go! Nagini, save me!
1: Harry, you should know better than... Yeah, he slipped. It was the whole thing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's like fucking air whistle noises and stuff. Bongos. <laughs> well, hello. Mmm. Hello, creepy woman that won't say a goddamn thing. This will be a fruitful visit. Can this just be the woman in black part three?
1: (laughs) Was that a frame photo of the um, kid from Sweeney Todd?
3: (laughs) That's where this transitions into a musical. (laughs) (laughs)
5: <laughs> I'll steal you again.
0: <laughs> <the guinea. laughs> <laughs> Burry you know, something in your lizard hair.
4: <laughs> I like how we just immediately fell into it. Uh, fucking Rickman is unchanged. <laughs> oh, pretty women, I wonder. Severus
0: Snape!
1: <laughs> I mean, at this point, half the cast of Sweetie Todd is in Harry Potter, so...
0: Pretty muggles. You know I feel like... Big... I'll stop now. <laughs> Turbin and, and, and Snape, not
3: all that different. Both way too hung up on girls that don't belong to
1: them. <laughs> Probably eat human flesh. Eat human flesh? Where'd you even pull that one from?
3: <laughs> hey, Snape doesn't give that impression. Neither characters eat human flesh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sweeney Todd,
3: he makes meat pies. I'm assuming he had to sample the wares at some character. Point. Yeah, you got me there. I wasn't thinking.
4: God, this is horrifying. Oh, uh, it's so take from <laughs> Debra Logan! This is Harry Potter movie.
5: Oh, uh, snake lady. That's
1: what Harry, Hermione that finding chair, A man. room of blood.
5: Oh, God.
3: <laughs> Lion, tamer Harry to the rescue. Oh, my God. It is a horror movie. Hermione just fell down for no reason.
1: (laughs) Josh? This randomly clean room.
3: See, I always thought, like, they had broken the wall into, like, the neighbor's house. who had a much nicer place, but I don't know if that makes any sense at all. Because, like, there probably should be a baby in there if that was the case. Magic. I have no idea.
0: But why Why is there still power in the
4: fucked up portion of the Potter home? The Potter home is kept in pristine condition by magic.
3: Well, no, like, okay, that that's dead. where they tried to blow Harry up, and then Voldemort got his shit rocked. I, I feel like there shouldn't be a nice divide between the two.
4: I just want to point out that we're watching a Harry Potter movie where Harry brutally beat a snake with a fucking brick. It just became the gray for a moment He's taking broken bottles of
3: pumpkin juice To his knuckles for the rematch (laughs)
4: Speaking of the location Scout losing his fucking mind (laughs) Put snow on it Put snow over all of it Yeah. These are fucking woods that were made To be stalked by Jason Voorhees (laughs) (laughs) Oh man my copy of Never Hike Alone
3: Should be shipping this week Past Halloween, but I'm very excited.
1: I'm very jealous. So I love the fucking nice. Merlin tree just hanging out there. <laughs> <laughs> fucking movie
4: woods. I feel like uh, in that log that the hobbits are hiding for the ring wraiths on the other side. If you actually spin the camera 180 degrees, they're
3: filming Christopher Robin right behind them and then holding it for eight years to release for some reason in the distant
0: future.
1: Oh bother!
0: It looks like the Dark Lord is back
4: again. I figured this would happen.
1: (laughs) They might be cold, but they should be enjoying the fact they can just sit up against that tree and not be covered in ants.
4: (laughs) Is is that a problem? The magic of the Harry Potter world.
1: There's bugs out in the woods normally. If you're if you're there in the spring or summer, you're just going to be covered in all kinds of things crawling around. Dead of winter, sure, you'll freeze to death, but you won't have bugs on you. you want bugs on you, Cody? Not particularly.
3: I mean, my, my main concern is ticks. I don't like getting ticks.
1: Exactly. Go out in the woods in winter. You don't need ticks. Nobody needs ticks. I don't want ticks.
3: I mean, winter wood sitting isn't that bad. You can get venison. That's pretty dope.
1: Exactly. He doesn't love venison.
3: I mean I like it. I just don't enjoy sitting in the woods.
1: There's too much. Well, nobody nature. does. It's it's terrible. It's terrible if and they boring. Could bring but...
3: some big screen TVs out there, they could make nature better.
1: Can we well, can we run on um, a platform of wanting to make nature better?
4: <laughs> Cody, I feel like you're the fucking goofus. And some kind of <laughs> some kind of cautionary tale about camping. Like, oh, Mike respects nature. Cody brings his big-screen TV
5: hiking.
3: All right, all right, Jamie. Consider these two scenarios. One, Mike goes camping, and he has an okay time. You know, he has a pudgy pie maker. You know, he has, he has an okay evening. Cody goes out to the woods with his big-screen TV and watches The Blair Witch Project and has a hella cool time.
1: <laughs> Cody, where are you plugging this shit in
3: at? You bring a generator, too. But it would be so oh, loud, so you'd be
1: able to hear dead. your movie.
0: Mm, you just crank up the volume on the TV.
1: Also, um, not to continue to argue, but now I'm stuck on this. <laughs> Can um, we have a um, some sort of bop event where we go out and... Play Blair Witch Project out in the middle of nowhere in the woods. Oh, God,
3: they'd be amazing. There's just an we... the old CRT TV out in the middle of the woods with no explanation.
1: <laughs> can we please do this? This sounds fucking awesome.
4: Can oh, we do it's like the Jaws screenings about, that they have at beaches? Yeah, exactly. let's do this with different movies.
3: So, like, somewhere there's a sewer playing Chud. <laughs> or Alligator.
4: Or Alligator. Like if you can get I... your hands yeah. on a copy, sure. I like the idea of, at any point, going, you are invited to the sewer. <laughs> like, I feel like we'd have to make them sign so many legal waivers. <laughs> no, nah, you, just, you just leave it and go. God, the amount of times Harry is confused by Doe Patronuses. <laughs>
1: The amount of times Snape has had to go, idiot, over here throughout the series is incredible.
3: I'm more impressed by Snape in the background, basically, probably holding his cloak over his face like Dracula, like,
0: do not see!
3: (laughs) I have to be sneaky about this. Harry can't
5: know I'm nice, occasionally. Uh, If he
3: gets that, he's actually the king of England.
1: Well, that's convenient.
4: Today, this entire time, Harry's like, "Oh yeah, I I just stumbled onto it all by myself." <laughs> I'd like to see Ron do that.
1: Meanwhile, he killed Ron five minutes previous. <laughs>
4: Damn it, Radcliffe, you can't naked your way out of every problem.
1: Why not? Is there not a spell to just lift that up out of the water?
5: Uh,
3: Yeah, I thought they tried, maybe they mentioned in the books, I could have sworn at some point in the books he, he tried something like that or just figured it was magic so it wouldn't work on magic. Also, wearing the locket seems like a terrible choice. Go wake Hermione up, you know where this spot is. Take the locket off, you fool. Harry Potter and the Poor Planning, Part
5: 90.
4: (laughs) Or or just take it off and set it to the side. It doesn't have legs, Harry. It's not the wandering. It's not going to suddenly start rolling away hilariously. (laughs) We find Harry Potter with a bunch of arrows in his back. God damn it. (laughs)
1: Ron then just watches. (laughs) Years (laughs) later... I am Harry Potter. Years later, Harry would come back as Pumpkinhead.
3: The talented Mr. Weasley, he just takes Harry's clothes and puts them on.
4: And then starts carving a lightning bolt into his forehead while staring dead ahead. Actually, the talented Mr. Ripley would be a lot easier in the Harry Potter world. They just polyjuice potion their way out of that. That's all Crouch did. <laughs> Harry, use a spell
1: to dry yourself off. Yeah, for God's sake, all you're doing is putting clothes on over the wetness. That's not going to help at all. You will <laughs> die of hypothermia in about five minutes.
4: <laughs> Have you not seen Survivor Man?
1: How'd you even get those so- clothes back on? You're soaking wet. Do you know how difficult that would be? <laughs> it's magic.
4: Wow, this really is a wizarding
3: world. <laughs> hey, it does work. <laughs> yeah, magic. That's the answer. Well, also, I... We're making jokes, though. We've got Ron's, like, true forging of character moment where he has to prove his actual worth to the group. By like confronting spiders. And in naked
1: Hermione's. I think we've all confronted privately. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Mike Napier and the euphemism.
1: All oh,
5: those buck teeth. Uh, eyeball!
1: Weird to think Harry said a slur there.
3: <sighs> what a great representation of evil. Just this nasty, blobby, <laughs> bubbling thing. This weird cloud. Just this weird tornado it. of souls. <laughs> it spits spiders out, naked people.
1: So, so inventive,
3: brave fiend's voice. I like it. Yeah, this is a scary cloud.
0: Ow!
1: Honestly, the um, this movie, uh, I, the, the, I would say probably the last four movies, since that's where you get Voldemort. But particularly like the stuff Yates does visually with with some of the magic stuff. It has to be probably the best representation of, you know, evil, dark magic from a fantasy film ever. Because usually it's just, there's not really anything to, whatever you see, like, a dark wizard doing shit. All of this stuff has, like, such a interesting, different flair to it.
4: And all his personality. And this weird-ass shit. <laughs> <laughs> Just so long and smooth. But seriously, imagine, like, hold into your head the scene of all them meeting on the Hogwarts Express and Sorcerer's Stone, and then look at Harry and Hermione nude making out. I want someone
1: to take the final two movies but then use the first film as a series of flashbacks throughout them. How weird would that be? Just as Ron's running towards that it just cut to him asking Harry where his chocolate frog went <laughs> Also that looks like a footprint of a very large bigfoot <laughs>
3: That's my off comment. Gravity falls Harry Potter <laughs>
4: I am waiting for when Sasquatch shows up in the Fantastic Beasts movies. He is the most fantastic beast, and they are in America. It makes perfect sense. And the Chupacabra is showing up in Grindelwald.
1: Oh no, he's back.
4: (laughs) And he has a weapon. Watch out, Ron, she's going to beat the shit out of you.
1: Wouldn't it be amazing if Hermione just saw him holding a sword, pull out a gun, just shot him? Oh god, Harry, he had a weapon. (laughs) He was coming at me. Did you see that? He was coming at me.
4: Stand your ground. It is funny to think Hermione is the only character in this franchise who throws a fucking punch.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's how he just leaves and some slaps. I mean, it's no Dracoid treatment.
4: Look, I helped.
0: Run good now. Uh, oh, yeah, that too. She is
1: so accusatory of Ron here. <laughs> maybe, maybe she believes Ron's a Death Eater.
3: <laughs> I didn't listen into that theory. Maybe that's where it comes from. Maybe she believes that Ron is
4: Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I onto your tricks. tricks
1: of an old man? An old gay man? fucking Ron's a beautiful speech here out of nowhere.
3: He wrote this down like 10 weeks ago. He had this in his pocket. He's like, I know what I'm going to say when
4: I get back. Talking
3: sure stuff horror. about the illuminator.
4: Yeah. Oh yeah. That's when the panties are going to drop.
1: 5 minutes later the GPS dropped out of his fucking jacket.
0: What is this? <laughs> Wizard Tracker app.
1: It just tells Halo me what RoboCop Radio.
5: is. I just like the idea of
1: referencing RoboCop again. That's three times, this commenter. Uh, 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 three. Uh, uh, uh. He looks like a confused clown. You know what his eyes look like? <laughs> he looks like his eyes are the eyes of a mummy.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so a like, resurrected I've seen mummy. the
3: eyes of a mummy. <laughs>
1: I These know that might them. be specific, but there's someone no. out there who's going,
3: yeah. They would be wrong.
4: Mike has been watching a lot of mummies <laughs> movies, I think we should say. <laughs>
3: are you challenging me for mummy thrown, Mike? Are we going to have to mummy off here? I will
1: mummy throw down right now, motherfucker. Have
0: you seen the new mummy?
4: I heard you guys, describe guys, it, so guys. yeah. Guys, you're both top moms. <laughs> can we please move on?
3: <laughs> no, there can be only one. There, one Jet Li
1: reference for today. But that, wait, that was supposed to be a Jet Li reference and not a Highlander one? Well done. Everyone does Highlander. I think it's more interesting
3: if it's the one. I am. Nobody's bitch. Anyway.
1: <laughs> can we just do commentary for the one that's a very underrated film
3: oh sure not we just we just cut to 10,000 mummies fighting each other in the nether dimension <laughs> Th- that did
1: end on a pyramid didn't it yeah, yeah. Oh, it with yeah. a thousand jet lees so, fighting each other on it I believe one of them was Were the, the, the dragon of
0: Jetlis, or was it?
4: I can't even remember I thought he killed all the other jet or he yeah, just okay. sent him to another dimension he was in an interdimensional prison yeah and a dude was coming after his butthole, and he said, "I am you, law. I am nobody's bitch. You are all mine. I will be the one." And then he karate <laughs> fought them as the credits rolled. The One is an incredible movie. Why are we watching Harry Potter? Let's I know, let's, right? Can we just let's watch turn this watch off the
3: right one. now and go watch The One? <laughs> it's probably playing on FX right now, if I know FX.
4: <laughs> Also, I love that old Harry Potter moment we have with the flame. <laughs> <laughs> just, just Harry and Ron getting into Ron nannigans one last time.
3: See, this is the part where it feels like the movie, in my mind, should have ended. Like they just destroyed their first hardcore crux. Ron's back in the fold, they've got some direction. But then there's a whole another giant bit here where all of a sudden it's like, oh, we gotta, we gotta find out about what the Deathly Hollows are. We gotta go to, a uh, like a, a wizard prison for a little bit here and get attacked by evil wizards. We get uh, a brief moment with Dobby.
1: It does feel this like this what... movie had kind of two options to go with. You either end here early, and we're at.
3: Oh yeah, way too early. It's hour forty-seven.
1: Oh, yeah. Or you end here on like a big, like, cliffhanger, but we found out information, we're gonna go get it now, and blah blah blah, which ends on kind of a high note. Or you go and you end on the most depressing note humanly possible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it depends on how you feel about Dobby.
4: We all know how you feel about Dobby. I like him slightly more here. (sighs) But it is funny, you kind of accidentally end up with... An old-fashioned, like, four-act fantasy structure. Yeah. <laughs> like Beowulf or, uh, or the Lord of the Rings uh, novels. And I was like, here's a complete three-act story. And then here's just a mini-story at
3: the end. It reminds me a little bit of uh, the way Casino Royale always confuses me. Because that feels like a full story. And then they have to add on that whole bit at the end where Vespa dies. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, it, it it's not bad. It just confuses me because I'm never expecting it. I always feel like the movie should stop 20 minutes before it does.
1: Oh, I'm so glad someone else feels that way. I'm shocked every time I watch Casino Royale, and I've seen it like 50 fucking times. <laughs> like, oh, oh, God, it's still going. Okay, this is weird. Wait,
0: there's more. No, James Bond, you had love. <laughs> like, I always
1: do that, like, uh, during, like, the car chase and the um, interrogation scene. I always do that movie wind down thing where you start like getting ready for the movie to finish and get up off the couch Yeah. oh okay I'm gonna gather up all my shits and mentally prepare for this to end oh no I have like 30 more minutes left never mind (laughs) remember before Deathly Hallows came out in book form how like the
3: Harry Potter symbol was pretty much a lightning bolt and then Deathly Hollows came out, and everyone went, I have to get a new tattoo. And this is Harry Potter now. The Deathly Hollows is Harry Potter.
1: It's, it's so, so much, much cooler.
3: It's, it's such wonderful and simple iconography. It's perfect.
4: Also, Dad was a sexy guy. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, we have Wizards just living in poverty.
1: <laughs> he wants to live that way. Especially, you know, to avoid Spider-Man. <laughs> no
3: more New York for me. Okay. Let's see David Yates flex his muscles.
1: Ah, in The sexiest sequence in this entire goddamn series.
3: Pretty much, I think any time you have a fantasy movie that needs to have exposition, you should have CGI puppets telling it. It worked, oh, yeah. It worked for Hellboy 2. It kills here. This is like my favorite part of the movie. God, it looks cool. Uh, even Dracula used some puppets to tell some prologue stuff, and it all works. That's the way
4: it should be. It's fascinating to me that they get away with having this happen in the third act. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've never seen anything like this in Harry Potter. It's such a surprise.
3: But I guess, you know, seven movies in, you got to do something to keep it fresh. And boy, this is going to stand out in people's minds.
1: I'm fascinated Damn it, Dumbledore, like
4: a... stop tempting them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm fascinated this was like, briefly became a traveling puppet show. Oh, really? Yeah, just this story.
0: huh, neat.
1: Because everyone was so fucking taken with this.
4: They actually uh published the tales of Beetle the Bard recently. I'm actually of all the uh, weird Harry Potter coffee table books they've come out with, they're like fifty dollars each. That's the one I'm actually tempted to buy. Oh yeah, that came out a while ago. They must have done a, a repressing of it.
1: But yeah, you well, didn't... it came out for public um not that long ago. It was just a like kind of a charity thing and limited stuff. And now it's actually. Uh, I mean, it could have been that
3: thing. limited. Uh, like my ex had one she got for Christmas, like, years ago.
1: Well, the very first, like, printing of it was five copies.
3: Yeah, I'm pretty sure she doesn't have one of five.
1: (laughs) It did, but I think um, maybe, like, a year or two after that, it went out for uh, mass consumption. But I think it's still all the proceeds of it's selling still go to charity, I think.
4: I'm still going to explain that with your ex-girlfriend is white. (laughs) <laughs> just things happen for those people. We can't explain. Them. She
3: just made her own version of it.
4: now the tales are correct.
1: Fucking honkeys.
3: This is just a version of Watership Down with a different cover.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love this Tim Burton dancing character. <laughs> What's most impressive to me about this sequence is we've never seen anything remotely fucking close to this in any of the other movies. Yet somehow this feels like Harry Potter still. Yeah, it's about the design.
3: Real dark, too, compared to pretty much anything else in Harry Potter. It's not implied darkness. We see a guy being dragged up from a noose. Uh, There's the blood splatter on the wall when the other wizard has his throat cut in the middle of the night. Oh, it's For, like, a a weird couple-minute segment, this is surprisingly
5: grim. Can we
4: have an... Anthology book, an anthology movie that's just Emma Watson narrating fantasy stories? Why not? I'd buy it. I think the movie would be improved if they just did a smash cut after he says, Those are the Deathly
3: Hollows," And then we cut to Ocean Man. And that's,
1: <laughs> that's the movie. Way to date us again.
0: Ocean Man, take me
1: by the rail. Also, watch this drawing change every time you cut to it.
0: <laughs> that's magic, Mike. Oh, jeez, I screwed up again. Ah, ah, it's a square.
1: Just watch us go from first unit to second unit.
0: (laughs) Back, and to the left.
1: Hey, that's Uh. not what was just drawn. (laughs) What I like is he could have just pointed to his necklace and just explained it, but... Right.
3: Hey, how the hard he has to work to make these strokes work too. Like he's really dragging that pencil. It's <laughs> he a dramatic point. To his
4: daughter is gone.
3: He's just sewing for time, so you know, they can be captured. Although really the evil wizards aren't gonna show up until he says Voldemort, right? Like the charm is on him saying Voldemort.
4: I think this is all in his head. Lovegood is insane. I mean look at that sweater. Gown. Dress. All of the above.
1: The important thing is Nick Cage is about to show up and light him on fire.
0: (laughs) Spoilers.
3: Ron has the right idea. This man is insane. He's going to turn you into meat pies.
4: I like how this is scarier than the encounter with Nagini. (laughs)
1: Well, he's so colorful.
4: So much of this movie is the characters confronting old people about information from the past and things turning south.
1: Wait, my favorite run to the door, block it. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, cinema history right there. Cinema history. No, 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 no. All right, LaBeouf, what are you doing here?
0: Doors don't really matter here. Do they love good? They can magic their way out. They're
1: magicians. Honestly, why do they even have doors in the wizarding world? That's a solid question. Vampire rules. Ah.
3: I mean, young wizards can't apparate, so that, that's something. Do they something. have vampires? In Harry Potter? They have to have a form of vampire. I believe so.
1: We have not <laughs> a Newt's fucking commander, vampire. get on this. Yeah, why isn't that what fucking Fantastic Beasts are about? Fucking vampires. Do Dracula. Can you just do a Dracula movie instead of Fantastic Beasts?
0: Alright, I'm I'm
4: consulting the internet right now to see if there are vampires in Harry Potter. I would actually fucking love to see David Yates do Dracula. (laughs) He's the one who just does the book.
3: Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, so I typed vampires in Harry Potter and the Harry Potter wiki came up with a bit that said Sanguini. (laughs) <laughs> which sounds like a pasta, is a vampire who attended the Slug Club Christmas party during Harry Potter's sixth year at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. He was the guest of Eldrod Warple. Luna Lovegood believes that Rufus Scrimgore is a vampire.
5: So okay. there you have
3: it. Harry, Harry Potter's got vampires. he got vampires.
1: <laughs> got vampires. Ron is so done here. Does so he have the space oh. madness again?
3: <laughs> okay, so here are the known vampires in the Harry Potter universe. Amarilla Lestote, Bloodwin Blood, Brian, just just, just Brian, cool. Carmilla Sanguana, Lorcan D'Eath, part vampire, unnamed Romanian vampire, Sanguini, Herbert Varney, Trokar, Vlad
4: Dracul, and Vampire in Minsk. What about the unknown vampires? All those kind names are stupid. Many. Except they Brian. were very
3: dumb. Brian. I'm going to see if Brian has a Wikipedia article about him. Physical information: human, male. Name is Brian.
1: Also, um, does anybody else feel like um, this main Death Eater here was just trying to look like David Tennant?
5: <laughs>
3: a little
1: bit. Yeah,
5: yeah, a I can see
1: that.
3: Also, oh, hold up here. I'm getting fucking lied to. Brian was a boy who lived at Godric's Hollow. On the night of 31st October 1981, he dressed up as a vampire for a Halloween party in his house. Mistaking a hooded Lord Voldemort for a friend who was late for the party, he approached him only to be stricken with fear as he peered into the man's hood and quickly stumbled back into the yard. Brian ain't a vampire. Brian's
4: a poser. Bullshit. Bullshit. I hate the Harry Potter franchise now. Brian
3: was present in some early drafts of the film adaption of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. He was, however, cut from newer edits and has not seen the final version.
1: I would have loved to have seen that scene but interacting with that, Voldemort. <laughs> Dude, also, can we just... Uh, I think it's worth pointing out. Hey, sequence from Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows.
4: <laughs> <laughs> this is a less slow motion.
1: I'm sorry every time I see this I just think of the fucking scene from Sin City. We're going home, Kevin. <laughs> I don't believe
5: that Super was Johnny. No. run
0: away.
3: So yeah, now the mystery element of the Hollows is officially kicked in, and it's a race. But the movie's going to end in like ten minutes, which is a bit silly. Like they they make such a big deal of the Deathly Hollows here, but it's really for the second movie to do anything with them.
1: And the mystery of this film is figuring out what the mystery is.
5: Yeah, which is the MacGothan bad or this anything. Time? Like
1: it's it's kind of interesting, but. I like how lost the characters are until the very end. (laughs) That's really it. They're after the wrong MacGuffins. Like, they still need the other ones, but there's a different set they need to be after. You're not David Tennant. (laughs)
3: Let the man enjoy his scarves.
1: You're not Scrooge McDuck at all.
3: Can't we all be Scrooge McDuck
4: in our heart if we just hoard enough money? Uh, going back to uh, the idea of of touching, uh, touching on the Harry Potter series again as like a Netflix series or something. I feel like if you were doing that, you would just keep Crouch around and have him be this character. <laughs> yeah.
3: I mean, they probably clear out Azkaban by this point in the story, right? Like, he's got to be off doing something. God, do I have to go back to the Harry Potter wiki?
1: It is odd at this point. It's like, wouldn't you want Tenet to come back for at least a couple scenes?
3: Right, he's pretty famous at this. Maybe he's too busy
4: like doing Doctor Who stuff. Uh, in the books, I don't even think Crouch comes back and does anything after Goblet.
3: Uh, Let's see. He died sometime between 95 and 96. Oh, oh, he received the Dementor's Kiss on 24th of June, 1995. They
4: killed that dude. Ah.
3: There's your your wizard, Justice.
5: (laughs) Come on, Draco, identify the Elephant Man.
4: (laughs) He's so drunk.
3: Again, I always forget this. The last chunk happens. Like I forget Draco's even in this movie.
4: It's weird that they're both the same height now.
1: (laughs) It is odd. God, poor Lucius. Also, can we just take a moment to appreciate Helena Bottom Carter? somehow chewing up her past performance as this character for something even more over the top and insane.
3: (laughs) I mean, not a lot of screen time to make things happen. She had that one opening bit, but that's mostly Voldemort scene. And this is her scene. This is her big moment, which is great because we need to really hate her in part two because they give her that big, big send-off. You've got to earn that, and, you know, this is
5: where she gets it.
4: No, not her werewolf character. Not Fenrir Greyback, my favorite name ever. (laughs) (laughs) The man who scarred Bill Weasley. it's, it's like the
1: last it's, of
0: me. I'll be in the next movie <laughs>
1: it's great that Bellatrix suddenly shows up to be the main villain of the movie in the last 10
0: minutes
1: screaming with the weirdest series of deliveries ever it's just amazing
3: well, this whole movie split into two halves thing again gets into the weird murk of how do you handle this the main antagonist and Harry don't see each other in this movie at all so we get Helena Bottom Carter, but even then they can't defeat her. They just escape her and have to deal with her in the next movie.
1: One thing
4: is, it Dobby is. dies. Good. It is funny how, simply because of circumstance, Bellatrix becomes the number two villain of the series. <laughs> and that just happened. I love how that was Carter's idea.
3: Oh, <laughs> right, the mirror.
1: I was going to say, oh, right, John Hurt.
3: Oh, right, John Hurt. That guy.
5: Plus Luna.
1: And group hook, um not being played by Vern Troyer.
0: I'm also in this movie hello
3: look at my shiny hand
1: Grip Hook always looks like he's in such a bad fucking mood it's <laughs> <laughs> like be- part of his charm what, what, what amuses me is it's Davis playing Grip Hook this time but they still do his makeup so it still looks like Vern Troyer <laughs> and it weirds me the fuck out <laughs> that's Hollywood magic Mike D- Dobby we, we don't want to make love
0: mm. Dobby is not so sure Master what? Potter
1: fuck you Dobby fucking I'm an elf like everyone in the room is fucking retarded you're the one who can't even speak right
3: <laughs> well I mean he's, he's a house elf they're basically gods you get those they need to shoes. be enslaved, or else they'll kill everyone else. They're too powerful.
1: Put on normal clothes, Dobby. You're still wearing fucking rags and no underwear.
4: Her- Harry Potter does not appreciate the angle of Dobby's dangle. <laughs> Ow! I'm gone from the film now. God, that is—I say this every time—that is the easiest paycheck in movie history. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he saw to put up the makeup.
3: That, that probably took an hour or two. You made that snitch.
1: I'll oh, chew Dobby's penis off and spit it back into his mouth like a baby bird, anyway. Mm-hmm. Ugh. <laughs> I win. <laughs> um. More blood," the slur.
4: Oh,
5: don't cry, Hermione."
3: Oh man, you done pissed him off now. I'm just—I'm just stuck saying. on the stuff Mike was saying about the makeup. It's weird, right?
4: It is. Yeah, it once is. you notice that, it, it's like, ugh.
1: You just put Victoria's face on Warwick Davis. It's creepy.
3: Okay, so that was quick, and it's hard to tell exactly what was happening there. Did Lucius try to pull out his wand and then realize it wasn't there from the start of the movie so. when Voldemort took it? Okay.
1: <laughs> That's Lucious a Lucius is touch. fucking really drunk right now. He's having a bad <laughs> goddamn time of it.
3: Hey, look, we just missed a really important plot detail.
5: Wands changing hands.
1: This will be important later.
4: Oh, why don't you just marry the Dark Lord? You love him so much.
0: Dramatic arm thrust.
1: <laughs> the set to reveal, just, Mah. Isaacs is having a good time. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
4: Isaac is so happy he gets to do something again. <laughs> uh, came in like a wrecking ball, Master Potter.
1: <laughs> uh, if you want, just look up Dobby and Chandelier on, on YouTube. Have a good time. Is this like Lemon Party? You're not far off, but we won't go into oh, it. Oh, no. I don't if you, like... If you just want to see a Dobby doll in drag... On an actual chandelier to a pop song, and you know you want to. I don't recommend looking mm. that up.
5: Mm-mm.
0: Free to die. Ooh, oh, Dobby's gonna die.
4: <laughs> ah! I just looked it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: It's okay, you can cheer yourself up by looking at Dobby dying.
4: Every Dobby puppet just looks like fucking Mac and me. It's horrible. It does, yeah. <laughs> wow.
1: God, the Deutsch angles of this scene. I love it so much. It's like, let's film the la- this last scene like it's a fucking war movie.
0: <laughs> We're as unsteady as the characters. Whee! I'm gonna throw oh. up.
1: Like it's Platoon.
3: So a nice little foil here. I mean, this is a good structured beat. We start the movie off with Voldemort basically talking about how disgusting it is for the idea of wizards even mating with other humans that just aren't magical. So we know he's a huge asshole. Then we get to the end of the film, and the closing note is Harry Potter believes so much in the equality of all magical creatures that he, he wants to show the respect he can by digging a grave with his hands for Dobby.
4: I like the implication that normally wizards are not buried with any dignity at all. (laughs) (laughs) Just magic them in the hole.
1: It's a really subtle character beat I don't see a lot of people bring up. Just Harry saying that line about not using magic and doing it properly.
3: I think they should do it like always, Sonny. Like w- when a house elf dies, they just throw them in the trash. When a wizard dies, you just throw them in the trash.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
3: or if you want to be really funny about it, you throw them in like the flu Network and hope they just wind up in like one of the dark wizard alleys.
1: Or Harry just stands up, holding his corpse, and just throws it behind him into the uh, into the waves, and Dobby's corpse just goes. Also, <laughs> here is Dobby the house elf house elf dying with his eyes wide fucking open like a
0: real they won't close
1: like Even no movie bullshit of him, of him like closing his eyes and all that it's like what nah if? we're just gonna have him death stare
3: remember the Talia Ghul death scene from the Dark Knight Rises just imagine if they use that same performance right here <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, Dobby, dead now.
3: <clears throat> that would ruin this entire film right there. That'd be the one catastrophic flaw I could never get over.
1: Also, the way that Luna Luna is incorporated into this plot, you think I don't know her and Harry would end up together or something?
3: Not everyone has to date Mike.
1: Anybody is better than Harry and Ginny.
4: <laughs> a character who's just not in these auto-movies.
1: Where do you get the oh, shot from, Oh, it's so though? sad. It's really sad, yeah. Like, this is the ending of a, technically a kids' film. This is 80s Disney up in here. These kids
3: have grown up. They're adults now, and they need to feel sad when they go to entertainment.
1: <sighs> I say make them depressed young. <laughs>
3: <laughs> if it's good enough for cigarettes, it's good enough for children.
4: Let them know that knife is nothing but facial dismemberment and dead assholes.
1: and Snakes. Lots of big snakes.
4: Guy, could you imagine if they did the old Harry Potter thing where they had to go up to Hermione and say, Yeah, but some good stuff's happening too. <sighs> it's so exciting. Oh, right. I forgot they
3: also end with <laughs> this this surprising little bit where now Voldemort just has the fucking death wand.
1: The death wand.
3: The death wand. That sounds way more metal, right?
1: It does. Oh. God, he's just... He's like a circumcised dick. So smooth. Cut to Dumbledore.
4: Make out. Make out. Now kiss. (laughs) I love how Michael Gambon got a credit in this movie for appearing in photos and being dead. (laughs) Lay down here. Now take a nap. Got it.
1: Tee-hee-hee-hee-hee-hee. Nagini, look what I got.
0: (laughs) Pippity-poppity-boo. It's his bong. Nagini. Let's just think. Uh, Dumbledore's wand, as far
3: as I can tell, didn't change design throughout the films. So they kind of looked out by giving him a cool-ass wand in the first place. Yeah. (laughs) What if the Elder Wand turned out to just
1: be, like, the most boring, nondescript wand in the world? They had a lot of dumb luck. Some of that stuff. I mean with with the Rowling
3: consulting, do you think she went over to somebody in the props department and was like, no, nah, this thing's gotta look baller?
0: Impossible.
5: The world may never know.
1: I could imagine sitting in a theater going, That's the end, huh? It was, Infinity it was, War had more of an ending than this thing.
3: It was a big surprise because I was sitting in the theaters and like, I have no idea when they're going to cut this thing off. I remember having that thought in the theater. Like, I have no idea where they'll end this. What is a good spot? And then it ended there. I was like, oh, that's that's where they're doing. Okay. They have a lot left to do in that last movie somehow.
1: <sighs> there's not really yeah, a good part- place to end it. Like
3: There's, there's not, not really
1: much you can do. Yeah
3: like we were saying before, they had a spot, but the movie also would have been incredibly short, and the second part would have been incredibly long.
4: Yeah. Yeah, part one and two definitely work together when watched as one long movie. let us I mean, let's make a quick
3: checklist here. Harry has to figure out the deal with the rest of the Deathly Hollows. I mean, we're going to find out in a surprise. He actually has the Invisibility Cloak and the resurrection stone on him already. So he's got two out of three. So that mystery is much smaller than it appeared at first, but sitting in theaters, like, Oh my God, they still have to find two of those suckers. Uh, they have all the remaining horcruxes because in this one, they destroyed the locket. So they still got to figure out where the rest of them are, find them, which I will say in the second movie, becomes a little bit of a cheat because they find out a ton of them are just in Hogwarts and have always been in Hogwarts. <laughs> they just have to figure out the secret of finding them. So they go through most of the Horcruxes pretty speedy once they get to it. But uh, you don't notice that, I think, when you're actually watching part two. It just moves along at such a fast clip, you don't have the time to realize, like, wait a minute, this is a little lumpy. And again, I mean, screw it. You got two parts. You don't necessarily have to spread everything apart evenly on them, even though that might be your first instinct. Yeah. The structure is unusual, but it doesn't make it bad.
1: But it it's funny, the part two is shorter. Yeah.
5: <laughs> Did we hear the classic Harry
3: Potter theme at all in this movie? I guess, like, the classic Harry Potter theme, I think, is, like, Hedwig's
1: theme. I
4: don't know if that appeared at all. Uh, that plays very ver- briefly at the beginning, I think.
1: Okay. Yeah. They, they utilize notes of it in some interesting ways. It's just such a surprise. I mean, Desplat, I'm just going to say it as dumb as
3: possible because I can't admit if I know the T's that are not. Brilliant composer. Like I, I love the other work he's done. I, I Stuff with Shape of Water, the Grand Budapest Hotel. I think the guy's a genius. But what a weird spot. Here, we need you to take over the last two movies in the mega franchise that's been going for 10 years. Go figure it out. Also, it's spawned off of John Williams, you know, just one of the most important film composers who has ever lived. That's a
5: lot of pressure. I don't think I'd want that job.
4: Yeah, it's, it's amazing just how many people had to pull out all the stops at the last possible moment in this franchise. Yeah. That, that that alone deserves, like, all the credit in the world. And uh, just another little detail I never noticed before, probably because once the
3: credits started, I just leave. Uh, when they did the logo, they did the Deathly hollows and they faded out into uh, Dumbledore's wand. Because uh, we just found out, hey, Dumbledore always had the, that particular Deathly Hollow on him. That's, that was a neat little way. And considering a lot of people who hadn't read the books at the time didn't realize what the other two hollows were, Although they should have figured out the invisibility cloak thing pretty goddamn fast.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah. Cho Chang was in this movie. <laughs> oh, is she on the uh, Hogwarts Express
1: for like two seconds?
4: Along with Padma. Huh,
1: there's a lot of people I did not know was on that train. How do residuals work in that situation?
3: they get like a penny?
1: Yes. Someone
4: in Hollywood let me know.
1: Poor Vern Troyer not being in this movie.
4: Poor McGonagall not being in this movie.
1: We saw a cat probably at some point. (laughs) Probably. Somewhere. Maybe. I don't know. Was Crookshanks in there anywhere? Crookshanks just... Died between films.
3: <laughs> also got the Dementor's Kiss. Roughly around <laughs> 1995.
1: <laughs> and that was Deathly Hollow's Part 1.
4: I'm excited to see how it all ends, Mike.
1: It doesn't, actually. They never made
3: Part 2. They just assumed they were going to get the chance to make it, but they didn't make any money, so
1: they just stopped. Wouldn't that be fucking incredible if that happened, though? Netflix canceled it. <laughs> <laughs> nope, no
3: more Harry Potter. You can figure it out. Go read the books.
1: I'll say people don't talk about, I think, the last two very much, particularly part one. I don't think it's talked about very favorably, but damn, if when you actually go back and, and look at it, it's one of the really is one of the better films.
4: It's probably my second or third favorite, honestly. No, it's, it's one of the most memorable to me, even though I do forget little chunks of the end happen every
3: time. But the highlights really stick with me. And as much as we get the woods part shit, they stand out. You remember there's a lot of Harry Potter in the woods.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of the most pure Potter experiences.
3: Pure Potter experience sounds like they should just, like, Put you in a, a like a tub somewhere and rub you down with butter beer.
1: <laughs> yeah, you really went on a journey there figuring that one out. Mm, mm. I think we just learned Like something. there's pumpkin juice. Nah, not pumpkin juice. I don't
3: want that one. There's all the different magic chocolates. Eh, I don't like the idea of magic frogs walking all over me. But butter beer. Mm, it would Whoa. smell good and probably be like you know
4: rolling around in cream. I oh, love your nude form. Mm, that's the Harry Potter I want. Speaking of uh the butter <laughs> beer, not your nude form, uh has your butter beer finally cooled off? Uh I, I drank that
3: a long time ago. Uh, I didn't heat it up nearly as much as I did when I was doing my test run on the butterbeer.
4: That I was, was hoping, too hot. I was hoping you were waiting two and a half hours to try it.
3: I wasn't I wasn't sure when I was doing the test run, like if the uh the soda was going to, you know, once you heat it up. The sugar was going to melt in it or something and kind of make like a more of a thicker cream. Uh, it turns out it just was really hot soda. So it took a very <laughs> long time to cool down when I was playing with it yesterday. It was delicious, but I'm like, I'm scalding myself. I need to let this cool for like 20 minutes before I come back to it. So, yeah, if, if anyone's still listening and trying to make booze at home and you didn't do it beforehand, uh, d- don't boil that soda. For like twenty minutes? You don't need to. Just just enough to make it warm. You could probably put it on your microwave for like a minute and you'd be alright. I, should, I I should have said something about that earlier. Oh well. You're you're probably fine. Please don't sue us.
1: But anyway.
5: <laughs> we
3: gotta be we gotta be close to the end of these credits, right? We're up to underwater stunt units. <laughs> We got a while. <sighs> like three you may, more minutes.
1: You may, you may want to start winding down.
3: All right, folks. You can you can watch these credits. I'm out. Of, I don't have fun things to say <laughs> anymore. You, you wore me out. I'm tired. Daddy's got to go to bed. If you've enjoyed this commentary and for some reason didn't listen to the others, you're in luck because there are others. You can go listen to us talk about all the Harry Potter films uh, and other things. Honestly, we do regular episodes. We do commentaries on things that aren't magical. Check them out. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Facebook, uh, on Twitter at Box Office Pulp, uh, Stitcher. We're on Blogspot. Look up Box Office Pulp and you'll be able to find all of our material. I encourage you to listen to it and uh, send me your alcohol recommendations.
4: Looking for cocktails, not co- and, just cocktails. And please do not send us anthrax. Optional. I'd prefer not, but. I mean, if you want. Well, you do you. Oh, Dobby can't wait to go up to those pearly gates and sit on them.
3: Why am I just imagining the South Park version of you're going to hell, little boy, but it's it's just Dobby being thrown through this the South Park version of hell?
4: Oh, Dobby wa- Dobby wants to suck the black cock of Satan.
0: <laughs> they never go into where they get the magic from. It could be Satan.
1: <laughs> I assume so. Can you imagine Bill Nye showing up at Ron's door? Somberly telling him that he has with him Dobby's last will and testament. <laughs> and it's a time
3: turner. Dun, dun, dun. Dumbledore Ron,
1: 2014. And Ron gets explained somberly that Dobby's last wish was for Ron to cornhole his corpse.
3: <laughs> That's the oh, only way you oh, get your inheritance.
4: I mean, if I've got to. Turn, turn around, turn around. <laughs> Is that your run, impression? Can I hear that again? It's, it, I mean, he it was, it was a good elf. All right. Akio, asshole. Oh!
3: <laughs> oh, God, I don't like the visual of that, just ripping an asshole
1: out and shoving it at you. Ripping an <laughs> asshole out and shoving it at you. The box office pulp way. And then Creature has to catch it in his mouth. I don't like house elves anymore. (laughs) I'm glad Dobby's dead. Yeah, me too.
3: Anyways, folks, that's a wrap. Get the hell out of here.
0: You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.
3: I feel like we already did a very long after credit scene about talking about ripping out Dobby's asshole, but.
1: Can't top that. Can't top that. Can't top it. Can't I, top I, it. I get that.
0: This is Box Office Pope Guy, and this has been a Pope Podcast Production. Now, please, please, please put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And
1: now,
2: on with the show.
1: There are a lot of issues that
2: plague the. <laughs> Greetings and salutations, kiddos. It's me, your old goblin in crime, Roderick Kingsley, here with a special message for you, my adoring public. You may have noticed lately in my many, many appearances that I've had a bit of a spring in my pointy booted step. No, boys and girls, the secret to my success is no wonder drug or miracle diet, but an elixir of the spirit. And, like a Halloween-themed Jehovah's Witness, I'm here to spread the good news like a bombardment of pumpkin bombs. The good news of graphic novelism. But, Uncle Hobgoblin... You ask? What is graphic novelism? Don't don't interrupt me, you little shit! But yes, the tenets of graphic novelism are quite simple. A love for the comic book form in all of its forms. A rejection of the complacency that keeps it from reaching further heights. And... Most importantly, our refusal to fall into the dark pool of NEGATIVITY that has strangled the life out of this culture for too long. Since becoming a devout graphic novelist, I've rebuilt my goblin game from the ground up, soaring high above my fears and insecurities, as though they were the skyline of New York City. And all you have to do to walk this path is look deep within yourself. And send your credit card number care of Roddy the OG Hobby at gobmail.com. Or if you want to be a total Norman about it, just listen to the Graphic Novelism Podcast, where Alex Cook, James Lewis, and Mike nay, 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 Napier preach their love for the medium and warn against those that may do it harm. Remember, ladies and gents, if you want to be the hobgoblin of whatever it is that you do, listen to graphic novelism. Subscribe to it on iTunes and The Stitcher. Leave a rating and a comment. Visit graphicnovelism.com. And for God's sake, kill Spider-Man! Another episode.
1: That was just a little taste of graphic novels <laughs> <laughs>